Business and Buckets fam, we are live, episode 52. I had so much fun writing the script for this podcast. A little behind on schedule as it's Wednesday, but we got so much to talk about. Football on football, we got fighting, UFC, we got MLB playoffs, the World Series to talk about, and of course, I'm repping my Utah Jazz as they start the season 3-0, so let's dive in. We're going to talk about fueled supplements. You guys, health is wealth. Keep your immune system strong, reduce cortisol, detoxify your body on a cellular level, relieve chronic joint pain, and increase your overall energy and vitality with fueled supplements wellness products. Fueled multivitamins and fueled greens is the immunity combo your body needs to stay at your best. You can always make more money, but you can't always get back your health. Start today and save a little cash while you invest in yourself and your future by using promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off at FueledSupplements.com, the best place on the web for sports and wellness products. Once again, 15% off promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. And it's an important time of year. We have flu season. I got sick for the first time in years, knock on wood. Just a little cold, nothing too crazy. I uh, got stuffy, had a cough, but... Um, Gotta get the, gotta get that uh, supplementation, but also don't just re- rely on supplementation and and be a bum and not do anything. This is an enhanced supplement, right? You're supplementing what your original routine is. So let's talk sports, though. Holy cow, what a week we have going on! Starting with the NFL and some headlines around the league. Big one of note: the NFL not releasing the Washington Football Team emails with Dan Snyder. I'm not too surprised here. Uh, it's kind of a shady situation. Going to be interesting to see if there's much pushback on that as that was announced yesterday. Um, but yeah, I'm not too surprised where there's money, there's power, so on and so forth. Uh, the Raiders signing Desmond Trufant, who was released, adding to their secondary since they have battled injuries, just like most teams as far throughout the season. For the Patriots, Chase Winovich on IR. Again, these IR moves three weeks minimum. Uh, tough to lose an edge rusher. I like Chase coming out of Michigan. I wanted him to potentially become a Pittsburgh Steeler. Uh, he's fun. He's got the hair. He's got a little bit of flair. So tough loss for the Pats. Quan Alexander activated from the IR will be great for them to have. Uh, the Saints to have that middle linebacking presence. Great against the run. Uh, just a great leader. Good energy will be good for him to come back. The Colts waving Jacob Eason, losing the job to Brett Hundley. But then the Seahawks adding him behind Geno Smith after Russell Wilson being hurt. Uh, The local Husky guy, Husky boy, uh, staying in Seattle, trying to keep his NFL career alive. Huge news for the Colts after a big win this week, which we'll talk about. Quentin Nelson activated from the IR, helping shore that offensive line and keeping Carson Wentz up front. He's a huge, huge playmaker, so big moves there. Uh, Green Bay with some injuries in, in, on the defense signed Whitney Merciless after he was cut from the Texans last week. Uh, a guy that's a true vet, done anything and everything. Good to see him back on an NFL roster. The Colts losing their safety Julian Blackman as he tore his Achilles. for the. He'll be out for the season. Another tough loss for them. Their secondary has been brutally beat up. Dante Fowler on the IR for the Rams. Um, I believe he's on the Rams, right? Don't want to miss say that. the Atlanta Falcons see come on now um he's been everywhere 
but they're going to definitely miss his presence. He has really come on the scene the past couple of years. Jonathan Jones, the Pats cornerback, out for the year as well. So Winovich on IR, starting cornerback, out for the year. That defense is taking some hits. Uh, rookie Zach Wilson out two to four weeks with a PCL sprain. Uh, took a nasty uh, spill. Going to be out a few weeks, so the Jets trade for Joe Flacco to come back in town. He won't be active this week, but I would expect him to start in um, for the Jets after this one week. Nice little trade here <clears throat> for a six-round pick. The Broncos adding Kenny Young from the Rams. The Rams have a surplus of linebackers, so he's going to go to Denver to try to shore up that defense. Uh, Von Miller battling some injuries, expected to play this week. Uh, but it's going to be nice to have another veteran presence in the, uh, on the defensive front. Speaking of trades, the trade deadline will be in a week. Let's get the exact time here. The rumors of Deshaun Watson to Miami, um, some other trade rumors of, of potential use here. The trade deadline will be Tuesday, November 2nd at 4 p.m. Eastern. So we're getting close to that. It's going to be fun to see if there is many ways for some of these teams that are battling injuries. And are still in contention. Owners meeting this week for the first time in person for the first time since 2019. I believe that's where the Dan Snyder email conversation had um, spurred that they won't be releasing that. Uh, but good to see that you know things are becoming more regular, meeting in person, having fans in stadiums. Uh, hopefully, they can you know manage this issue of coaching insight the way they're represent representing the NFL. Uh, but, but cool to see that they're meeting in person. Jason McCourty and Malcolm Brown on IR for the Dolphins. Their running back situation has been a mess. Tua back. They're losing someone on the defense. Uh, tough start to the season for Miami after a, a surprising season last year. Andres Pete possibly tore his peck and out for the year. Uh, uh, the great Pro Bowl lineman for the, for the Saints which is going to be tough for Alvin Kamara and crew. Will Lutz out for the year for the Saints. He was looking to come back, has had some issues with rehabbing, so he's going to be out for the year. Lyle Collins coming back from suspension for the Cowboys, the great offensive lineman, going to keep Zeke, Tony Pollard, and that offense rolling. Jabril Peppers out for the year for the Giants. The, the woes keep hitting for the Giants. And Khalil Mack expected to go on the IR for the Bears, which is tough as he is the playmaker on that defense. And Tyrod Taylor potentially suiting up this week, coming back from IR for the Texans. I'm not you know, sure yet, but he did practice today. And then something I had to bring up. How about Mike Tomlin's freaking answer to the potential coaching rumors at USC, LSU? Um, I loved it. He was fired up. He was kind of pissed off. He ended the presser on it and just said, are you kidding me? This is a joke. I have one of the best jobs in all professional sports. They don't have a blank check big enough to try to lure me there. Um, you know, never say never, but I'm going to say never. Uh, do you ever ask other coaches such as Sean Payton or Andy Reid about this opportunity? So I loved it. You know, really in Pittsburgh, the loyalty of coaching there, um, not having so many head coaches over the past, you know, tens of years. Uh, so love the response there and uh, love the fire. Hopefully we can bring that into this week as the Steelers travel to Cleveland, the dog pound, to try to take on the Browns. It looks like Nick Chubb's going to be back. Baker Mayfield practiced today, so it looks like they'll have Chubb. It look, looks like they'll have Baker. Obviously, Kareem Hunt won't be in action, uh, but a huge AFC North battle happened in the Sunday morning.
So let's talk about last week's games. You know, I go over these recaps. I talk statistically. I try to put you guys in my mindset. What am I thinking? How do I track the season? How am I able to do my predictions, my power rankings, yada, yada. So we're going to talk last week's games, preview this week, talk about my picks record, and then we will go over a power rankings in this week's, uh, or thus far through the NFL season. Um, But I'm going to try to dive in and and give you a sense of how I feel the team is today and what I'm worried about for them in the future. So Thursday night's action, really close game. Yucky with the Keenum-led Browns winning 17-14 at home. Um, You know, they were battling weather. Teddy Bridgewater uh, off to a pretty terrible first start. It looked like Drew Locke was warming up on the sidelines. There's rumors of them potentially investing in a quarterback for the trade deadline. Obviously, they'll have interest in Aaron Rodgers to do what Peyton Manning did. And if not, they'll be looking in the draft for the quarterback. Um, But for the game, Teddy Bridgewater did warm up second half. He finished 23 of 33, 187 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick for a 91 rating. Uh, The ground game was non-existent as uh, Melvin Gordon had the most carries, eight carries for 18 yards, and Javante Williams only mustered up 20 yards on four carries. Um, and the receiving core, Cortland Sutton leading the way as Jerry Judy still out. Five catches, 68 yards. Javante Williams did get a touchdown, and so did Gordon um, on checkdown passes. And then for the Browns, Case Keenum, pretty solid effort. He's a solid backup quarterback, has that confidence, has that swagger about him. 21 of 33, 199 yards, and a touchdown for 90 rating. And then De- Ernest Johnson. The, the guy that's been in the NFL, been in the AFL, been out of the NFL, gets an opportunity with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb being out. But hey, that Browns offensive line is what it is. I don't want to take away from Ernest Johnson, but what a performance. 22 carries, 146 yards in a tutty. That's a 14, or excuse me, that'd be crazy, 14 yards per carry. A 6.6 per uh, rush average there. He did have a long run on the day for 20 yards, um, but he definitely, you know, etched himself in the the depth chart there as uh, there was potential split with uh, Demetric Felton, who only had two carries for 13 yards. And then the leading receiver for um, Cleveland was Austin Hooper, only two catches, but 42 yards. I figured with all the injuries that were amassing for them, um, Odell Beckham's shoulder, Jarvis Landry's first game back, it would be a tight end show with David and Joku, Harrison Bryant, Austin Hooper, uh, but the offense just wasn't, There wasn't much offense to be had in this game in general. Defensively, Anthony Walker with 10 tackles for Cleveland. Miles Garrett, the the great god in the the front line there with a sack and a half to to give his lead some cushion in the NFL sack leader. Uh, Kareem Kareem Jackson for the Broncos with nine tackles. Shelby Harris with the sack himself. And then John Johnson, the third for Cleveland, got an interception on the day. Statistically... The Broncos were 5 of 11 on third down. The Browns a decent 9 for 15. Both were 1 for 1 on fourth down conversions. Yardage-wise, the Browns had out-yarded the Broncos by about 150, and they won the turnover battle 1 to 0 while out-possessing the Broncos by 13. The Broncos were lucky to keep it somewhat close um, as the Browns were pretty much in control most of the game. Now, as we look at it, the problem for the Browns is injuries, obviously as they were a preseason favorite to win the division. Um, But they still have a lot of divisional action, right? They're the only divisional game. They haven't even played a divisional game yet. 
So they got the AFC North in the back half of the schedule. They they host the Steelers. They're in Cincinnati. Um, right before their bye week, they're in Baltimore. They have a bye week, then they're they're hosting Baltimore. So they're going to have a tough second half. Health is going to be a big thing to keep an eye on. Uh, but they are 4-3. and three. They're in a decent spot in the AFC North. Meanwhile, the Broncos started hot, right? This is one of the, the preseason teams I had to uh, actually be a sneaky pick into the playoffs. I thought Teddy Bridgewater would do enough, but they would leverage that defense. Well, they've already had issues with the defense. Um, Bradley Chubb is being hurt, right? Von Miller batter, battling injuries. So those are things that you can't predict going into the season. And I thought their run game would look a lot better. They've lost four in a row to Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and the Raiders. All tough teams, div- you know, divisional leading teams. We look at their next few weeks. They have Washington, Dallas, uh, Eagles, Chargers, Chiefs, Lions, Bengals. So, you know, they don't have the easiest of schedules. They're really going to have to figure out and, die, you know, pull within, you know, the determination, this, the everything to get the job done. Uh, playing in mile high is always an advantage, especially come wintertime with snow and the weather. But I don't know if I feel very confident about my playoff pick at this point. I believe I had the rounds, uh, Browns in as a wild card team. I, you know, I, I still feel pretty confident that they'll push for a wild card here. Uh, but the Broncos, things are looking pretty rough. And if I had a panic meter, it'd be pretty high at an eight and a half out of ten thus far, heading into Week Eight. All right. So Sunday morning, the Packers were able to handle the Washington football team as expected. Aaron Rodgers, 27 to 35, 274 yards and three tutties for 127.6 rating. He has been rolling and obviously the number one target on the day. Devontae Adams, not a tremendous box score, but six catches on seven targets for 76 yards and a touchdown. Robert Tanyan and Alan Lazard getting in the mix with some tutties as well. And then the running game wasn't as big of a factor for the Packers, which is kind of surprising as they held the lead most of the game. He had six carries for 19 yards, which is a pedestrian 3.2 average. Uh, For Washington, Heineke, sporadic as he's been the past few weeks, 25 of 37, 268, a touchdown and a pick. Also was sacked four times for a rating of 86, but he did lead the team in rushing. Antonio Gibson battling that shin injury hasn't looked to be the guy that a lot of people expected him to be. I think health has a lot to do with that. Also game scripts as well, you know, playing from behind. But he had 14 carries for 51 yards, which is a 3.6 average, so not terrible. Uh, J.D. McKissick getting four carries for 22, so he's chipping in. But Heineke took the ball 10 times for 95 yards, so he did a lot of damage. Pretty good yardage day, uh, the turnover, a, a big blemish. And his favorite target, Scary Terry, Terry McLaurin, seven catches on 12 targets for 122 yards and a tutty. He had a long catch and reception of 40 yards. Um, AJ Dillon lost a fumble in the game. Taylor Heineke fumbled as well. So a couple turnovers there defensively Devondre Campbell, uh, Campbell for the pack 13 tackles, 10 of them solo Rashawn Gary with two sacks, uh, Kingsley Kiki with a sack and a half as well. And then Jonathan Allen for Washington getting two sacks on Rogers and then Shannon Sullivan with a pick for the pack. Statistically, the Packers were 6-12 on third, Washington 4-11. of 11. Yardage-wise, the Packers were actually out-yarded by 130. Obviously, those turnovers were critical as they the Packers won the turnover battle 2-1, to one, 
and Washington outpossessed the Packers by five minutes. The Packers, six and one, full steam ahead, much like last season and the last potential last dance with Devontae and Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay before they go to, to Pittsburgh, wink, wink. Um, but they have an interesting schedule, right? This Thursday, Devontae Adams and COVID protocol, as long as he's vaccinated and gets negative tests, he can play. If he's not vaccinated, no way in hell he's going to play. Uh, I have him on my fantasy. He's my number one pick, so I really need that to happen. But they're going to travel to Arizona, the undefeated team. It's going to be a fun shootout as long as COVID doesn't destroy the Packers here. And then they travel to Kansas City, have Seattle, Minnesota. So um, they just played Bengals, Bears, Washington. So a lot harder schedule coming up before their bye week, week 13. Uh, pretty an easier second half of the schedule there after the bye week. Uh, but they seem to be rolling. We're going to learn a lot about the Packers the next few weeks on the road against the Cardinals and Chiefs and then hosting the Seahawks and on the road against the Vikings hosting the Rams. They're in good shape being 6-1. and one. Any team would like to be 6-1 and one right now. Meanwhile, the Washington football team definitely underperforming thus far into the season at 2-5. and five. Some people had them winning the division. I had the boys, the Cowboys winning it. But I had them as a potential playoff team and, and scrapping for the division. Uh, Heineke hasn't quite delivered. I was a big fan of him. Um, you know, do you blame him? Do you blame the team? The defense has been super underwhelming as they're giving up. See, the past few weeks, they gave up 24, 31, 33 points, 34 points, 43. Like, really bad start to the, to the season on the defense, and that's what they were supposed to live through. Uh, they traveled a mile high this week, have a bye week. Maybe they could get things sorted because they have a tough schedule. Bucks, Panthers, Seahawks, Vegas, Cowboys, Eagles, Cowboys, Eagles, Giants. So their season, they're in for one. I would potentially wouldn't be surprised if Fitzpatrick comes back that he'll he'll be thrusted back into the starting role. But with Gibson being brutally beat up, uh, it's going to be a long season for Washington. Dan Snyder will be the bigger headline than the Washington football team. A big surprise here, my Super Bowl favorite Kansas City Chiefs dropping another game, falling under 500 as they get schlomped by the uh, Titans 27-3. Pat Mahomes gets smoked in the face, gets pulled out of the game. Supposedly he's fine. He cleared uh, concussion protocol, so we'll play this week. But he's 20-35, 206, and a pick before um, going out. Another pick, a pick in every single game this year with four sacks. Is this his fault? Is it the line's fault? I think the line has improved from last year. The offense is fine. Defensively, they're getting beat, but I think they're just trying to force the issue and do a little too much offensively. I think they'll figure it out offensively. I think Pat Mahomes is going to be fine, but that defense is going to cost them, and they need that running game to get going, whether that's Daryl Williams or Clyde's Edwards Hilaire before he comes back, or maybe they trade for Marlon Mack. That seems like a no-brainer to me, but we'll see. Um, Pat Mahomes sadly led the team in rushing, six carries, 35 yards. Daryl Williams only had five carries for 20. And then Brian Pringle, the leading receiver, five catches, 73 yards, as they kept Kels under wraps at 65 yards. And the cheetah, Tyreek Hill, with only 49 yards on six catches. A lot of people are doing those over the tops, forcing Kansas City to do the intermediate plays and routes so that they can't have the big play ball. <clears throat> with no running, play action's a little tough, so... Uh, for the Titans, Ryan Tannehill, 21-27, 270, a touchdown and a pick for 105.3 rating. King Henry getting in on the action at the goal line with a touchdown pass, five-yard touchdown pass to the tight end, uh, McCole Pruitt, who had a touchdown. 
also led the team in rushing, obviously, but not a huge day against Kansas City. With a lead like this, you'd think he'd have crazy per averages and over 30 carries. He had 29 carries, 86 yards for a three per rush average. And um, A.J. Brown, eight catches, 133 yards and a touchdown. I think it's safe to say he's back. He's the true number 11, the old number 11. Now number two, Mr. Julio Jones, only two catches for 38 yards. On the defensive side of the ball, Patrick Mahomes fumbled. So did McCole Hardman. Um, Nick Bolton with a whopping 15 tackles, nine of those solo. Ben Neiman with a sack. And then for the Titans, uh, Danico Autry with two sacks on the day. Bud Dupree and Harold Landry chipping in there. Uh, Rashawn Evans for uh, the Titans with a pick. And Willie Gay for the Chiefs with a pick as well. Statistically, the Titans were an impressive 8 of 12 on third down. The Chiefs 4 of 11. Also went for it on fourth down three times. They were 2 for 3 there. Yardage-wise, the Chiefs were out yarded by 35 yards. And they lost the turnover battle 3 to 1, which has been the biggest crux in their season thus far. And they were out-possessed by 13 minutes. A lot of people are talking, the Chiefs are washed, Pat Mahomes, watch out, they're not going to make the playoffs, yada yada. And I don't really know where I stand right here. I can't count them out, they have just too much offensive potential. And looking at their schedule, they play the Giants this, um, they play the Giants this week, well they have a bye week, play the Giants, uh, play Packers, Vegas, Cowboys, Broncos, Vegas, Chargers, Steelers, Bengals, Broncos. Not one simple game in there after the Giants, so they're going to have their work cut out for them. But if I were to bet on anyone to get the job done, it's going to be the Chiefs. I assume they make the wild card. I don't think it's Death Con 5. I do think we're at a, about a 7.5 on the panic meter, though, uh, when it comes to title contention, health, that offensive line needs things. Kyle Long still hasn't been back. I haven't seen an update on him. That would be a huge addition to the line. Um, and the Titans, 5-2, and two, always just doing you know, better than we had expect. I don't believe I had them at five and two this far. Mm, probably had them at four and three, but not too far off. Um, they're scheduled coming in the next few weeks. Colts, Rams, um, Saints, Texans, Patriots, Jaguars. So somewhat of an easy schedule. They're going to be one of the top seeds in the AFC. They're going to live off King Henry's shoulders. As long as he's rolling, the Titans will roll. The defense has been an improvement. And yeah, the Titans are not going to be a team I'd want to play in the playoffs with King Henry um, putting the team on his back. Moving into another Sunday early game. Um, yeah, just a game that I don't think a lot of people probably tuned into, but it was a close game down to the wire. The Falcons hitting 500, beating the Dolphins in Tua's return 30-28 to as Miami falls to a very depressing 1-6. But on the bright side, Tua with a decent game, 32 of 40, great completion percentage, 291 yards and four touchdowns. He did have two random-ass interceptions on the day for 109.5 rating. Uh, the rushing game was somewhat prevalent. Miles Gaskin back in action with 15 carries to lead the crew. He had 67 yards for a 4.5 average. And then Mike Gusecki uh, leading the receiving core. Obviously, Will Fuller still being out. Devontae Parker not able to suit up. He had seven catches for 85 yards and a touchdown. Jalen Waddle right behind him, seven for 83. For the Falcons, Matty Ice, 25 of 40, 336, two touchdowns and a pick for 95 rating. Corderell Patterson seems to be the lead cow now. 14 carries, 60 yards for a 4.3 average and a touchdown. He had a long run of 13 yards. 
While Mike Davis only getting four carries now for, for 10 yards with a 2.5 average, his average has been pretty pretty lackluster, and a guy I think a, a lot of people figured would work out in Atlanta has not worked out. Um, receiving side, Kyle Pitts, the breakout show has begun. Watch out for him in the second half. Seven catches, 163 yards, which is a 23.3 average and a 39-yard um, long reception on the day. Seven catches, eight targets. He's catching what's coming his way, and it is paying dividends. Uh, Russell Gage and Calvin Ridley were able to find the end zone in this game as well. Matt Ryan did fumble the ball for the Falcons defense. Deion Jones, 15 tackles, 11 solo, one sack, and three tackles for a loss with the QB hit. Have a day, sir. And Foisati Olukun with 13 tackles and a pass defended for Atlanta. Um, Foisati did have a pick as well as Jalen Hawkins. And then for Miami on the defensive side of the ball, Javon Holland with the sack. Xavier Howard X out there making moves with the pick. Statistically on the day, the Dolphins are 7 of 11 on third. The Falcons 6 of 13, both doing a pretty good job there. The Dolphins did out yard the um, Falcons by about 20 yards. And the turnover battle was tied 2 to 2. But the Dolphins were able to outpossess the Falcons by nine minutes, but they couldn't get the job done at home. The Falcons moved to 300. These two teams, I don't have high expectations moving forward. I think the, the, the Dolphins already at one and six have kind of put themselves in a hole. I don't think two is going to be able to come back and resurge the team. They're having a ton of injuries. We talked about some of the, the guys that they have hurt already where the Falcons, uh, can you say an impressive three and three? Their wins are Giants, Jets, and Dolphins. Their losses, Bucks, Washington, and Eagles. I don't think you could say that's impressive. Uh, they've already had their bye week, and here's their schedule coming up. Panthers, Saints, Cowboys, Pats, Jaguars, Tampa, Panthers, Niners. For the most part, that's a pretty solid schedule. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. I do think they find a way to scrounge. And the only thing I care about with the Falcons is watching Kyle Pitts and seeing how good he actually is. Moving on. We have the Patriots straight up destroying the Jets. As you know, uh, this gave a smile to Belichick's face. 54-13. Um, Zach Wilson going out pretty early. So insert Mike White. Who the hell is Mike White, you might ask? Because I definitely did. Well, he's from Western Kentucky. He is um, not a rookie. He got drafted in 2018. Let's see. And yeah, he wasn't on a team until this year. So he's getting an opportunity. Had a decent line for, you know, being a random dude in the NFL. 20-32, 202 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Was sacked once on the day and had a rating of 64. He's going to get one more shot before they bring in Mr. Joe Flacco, 38-year-old Joe Flacco, to save the day. Um, on the ground, Michael Carter getting 11 carries, only scrounging 37 yards, which is a 3.4 average. Elijah Moore was able to get a jet sweep for the touchdown. Michael Carter did lead the team in receiving, though, as Mr. White must like his checkdowns. Eight catches on nine targets for 67 yards while Corey Davis was able to, to sniff in the end zone, and Michael Carter did lose a fumble, uh, did fumble the ball on the day. For the Pats, Mr. Mac Jones didn't even have to finish the game. He was able to sit down for a little bit. 
Um, Kendrick Bourne started the game with a 25-yard touchdown. So he did throw for a touchdown. I added him in my um, I added him in my uh, fantasy team, so I can't complain. Mac Jones, 24-36, 307 yards and two touchdowns. Damian Harris on the ground with the big lead, rumbling his way to 106 yards on 14 carries, which is a 7.6 average. He did have two touchdowns. J.J. Taylor getting two touchdowns as well. And then Brandon Bolden with the James White roll as Stevenson was benched after uh, missing a block and getting Mr. Mac Jones sacked. So Brandon Bolden, six catches on seven targets for 79 yards and a touchdown. Nelson Aguilar was able to find the end zone as well. Defensively, Marcus May for the Jets, 12 tackles, one tackle for a loss and a pass defended. Ashton Davis, 11 tackles, 10 of them being solo. And for the Pats, Kyle Duggar and JC Jackson with some picks. Statistically, on third down, the Jets 7 of 13. Actually pretty solid. Uh, the Pats 7 of 12. The Jets 0 for 2 on fourth. The Pats 1 for 1. The Pats were able to outyard the Jets by 250. They won the turnover battle 3 to 0 and outpossessed the Jets by 5 minutes. That's a winning recipe if you ask me. The Jets 1 and 5. They're having Joe Flacco. Zach Wilson's going to be out for some time. I don't think I have to recap to you what I have as expectations for the season because I don't really have any. Um, on the Pat on the Pats side, they find themselves at a, a decent three and four. They've lost to Miami, lost to the Saints, lost to the Bucks, beat the Jets, beat the T Texans, and beat the Jets. So two of their three wins are against the Jets. They do go on the road against the Chargers, the Panthers, then host the Browns. They have Atlanta, Tennessee, and Buffalo after that. So they do have a, a tough stretch coming up. It's going to be hard for them. I had them penciled in as a wild card team. The latter half of their schedule is pretty solid or pretty a lot easier than what I just read off. So we're going to learn a lot about them and Mac Jones through these next few weeks, especially on the road. It's going to be tough for them to find a wild card potential, but they might, they might squeeze in. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, as long as they stay healthy, Mac Jones continues to improve. Next up, we have the Giants um, uh, just taking it to the Panthers. The Panthers I had winning the division, kind of a sneaky team. They started out hot. They've been rough. Sam Darnold got benched. It seems like they're going to roll with him as the, the quarterback moving forward, as P.J. Walker did not impress in his time. But the Giants won 25-3. Sam Darnold was 16-25, 111 yards and a pick, was sacked three times for a 57 rating. So insert P.J. Walker, the ex-AFL guy, um, a guy that's been a real, around the league. I think he was in the XFL for that stint as well. He finished 3 of 14, 3 of 14 for 33 yards, 3 sacks for 39 ratings. So that offensive line is pretty atrocious. Uh, I don't know if this is truly on Sam Darnold. I think the team is realizing that. Without Christian McCaffrey, Chuba Hubbard trying to do his best. We'll only had 12, well, had 12 carries for only 28 yards. That's a 2.3 2 average against a very lackluster giant defense. And DJ Moore did lead the team in receiving, but only had six catches for 73 yards. For the Giants, Danny Dimes getting in 23 for 33, 203 yards and a touchdown for 95.9 rating. Devontae Buck, uh, Booker, potentially the last week filling in uh, Barkley after that ankle sprain. 14 carries, 51 yards and a touchdown for a 3.6 average. And Darius Slayton leading the banged-up receiving core for the Giants. Five catches, 63 yards. No Tony in this. Um, no Shepard in this. And, yeah, they're, they're just battling some injuries. 
Supposedly, Evan Ingram on the trade block. Uh, teams have been uh, calling him up. Uh, James Bradbury also recovered a fumble for the Giants' defense. Defensively, there was not a lot of outstanding performances. Leonard Williams had a sack and a half. Aziz Ojulari with two and a half for the Giants. And James Bradbury was able to uh, get that interception as well. Statistically, the Giants 7-16 on third down. The Panthers a very terrible 2-15. Um, Yardage-wise, the Giants were able to out-yard. Let's see. The Panthers by 130. And they won the turnover battle 1-0 while out-possessing the Panthers by 9. Hopefully, this is just a blip on the radar. The Panthers are able to move forward and figure things out. Without McCaffrey, that's going to be tough. Um, but they are on the road against Atlanta. They have the Patriots, Cardinals, Washington, and Miami before their bye week. So some very winnable games. That second half of the schedule is a little, besides the Buccaneers, is somewhat manageable as well. I think their schedule is a big reason I had them as the division leader. So don't count them out yet, but things got to start turning in the right way. And they need to win that game on the road against Atlanta this week. Meanwhile... Uh, for the Giants, at 2-5, and five, I don't have high expectations for them. They're battling a ton of injuries as well. They have Chiefs, Raiders, bye week, Bucks, Eagles. I mean, that's four losses most likely right there. So that's all we need to know about the Giants, especially with the Cowboys running away with the division. But let's move on to some AFC North bloody situations here as the Bengals are trying to claim the throne as the NFC North best team. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase and squad, uh, they destroyed the Bengals 40, or excuse me, destroyed the Ravens 41 to 17. Joe Burrow, man, what, I knew he was good at LSU, that LSU team was one of the best teams in college football history. My assumption was that that offensive line and surrounding cast that he had was a huge piece of that. How would he do in, in the NFL, especially when drafted by the Bengals? Well, the Bengals have given him quite a bit of talent. I thought they were a year away with their offensive line being so young, but their offensive line has really stepped up. They're learning and improving, and Joe Burrow has been able to stay upright, which which puts the Bengals in the win columns. Joe Burrow was 23 of 38, 416 yards, three touchdowns. He did have a pick for 113.5 rating. On the ground, wasn't a lot done, which is somewhat surprising with the lead. Uh, Joe Mixon, 12 carries, 59 yards, and a touchdown. Samaje Pirine, 11 for 52 and a touchdown. Joe averaging 4.9. Samaje, 4.7. Boomer Sooner. On the, off, on the receiving court, Jamar Chase blazing himself to Rookie of the Year award. Eight catches, 201 yards and a touchdown on 10 targets. A long ball at 82. If you have him in fantasy, you're jumping for joy as you're probably in a very good position. Uh, CJ Uzama becoming a favorite target of Burrow as well. Three catches, 91 yards, and two touchdowns uh, with a long with an average of 30.3 per catch. For Baltimore, Lamar having a tough day. 15 to 31, 257 in a touchdown, was sacked five times for 87.7 rating. They actually brought Tyler Huntley in the, the game as it was out of hand. He was 5 of 11 for 39 yards. Lamar Jackson with 12 carries for 88 yards on the ground, which is a 7.3 average. The rest of the team, just pretty pathetic. Devontae Freeman, four carries, 14 yards. Tyson Williams, two for 10. Le'Veon Bell, five of five. Why is he still on the roster? I'm not too sure. But Hollywood Brown still making an appearance. Five of 80 and a touch. Boomer Sooner, 
Uh, Rashad Bateman, the young stud out of Minnesota, the rookie, three catches, 80 yards. We'll see how he does with Sammy Watkins coming back, but he looks like a like a potential stud this year. On the defensive side of the ball, Logan Wilson, the Wyoming Cowboy, always leading the team in, in tackles with seven. Uh, Larry Ojinjobi with a sack and a half. Sam Hubbard, the young stud with two and a half. That Bengals defense seems to be legit. Um, for the Ravens, not a lot happening defensively besides the Marlon Humphrey interception, which probably made him feel a little better after getting roasted by Jamar Chase all day. Statistically, the Bengals 4-13 on third down. Got to be able to improve that, but the big plays was able to make up for it. The Ravens, a bad 5-16. of 16. The uh, Bengals out-yarded the Ravens by 130 yards, won the turnover battle, lost the turnover battle 1-0, to zero, and were out-possessed by three minutes, but those big plays were too much for the Ravens to overcome. The Bengals look like the real deal. I only had them at four wins for the whole season. They're already at five. Again, that offensive line was a, my biggest concern coming in, and, and they've shut it down. Um, they have at the Jets, they host the Bengal or host the Browns, have a bye week. Raiders, Steelers, Chargers, Broncos, Niners, Ra Ravens, Chiefs, Browns. Outside of the Jets, there's not one for sure winnable contest there. That's going to be a brutal, brutal second half. And a lot of it's going to come down to AFC North play. They've already stamped themselves in a good position with wins on the road against Baltimore and Pittsburgh, the two top dogs. So November 7th, when they host the Browns, we're going to learn a lot. They'll have a bye week to prepare for the second half. Um, is this a playoff team? I'm not necessarily going to put them in that position. Are they in position, putting themselves in position thus far in the season to be there? Absolutely. Um, but they're five wins again. We need to slow down on the Bengals uh, bandwagon a little bit. Minnesota in overtime, which I don't know how Minnesota lost that game. Pittsburgh, yes, they destroyed my Steelers. Jacksonville, Detroit, and a very impressive but very beat-up Baltimore team. People want to assume Baltimore is a, a contender still. After all those injuries, I don't think that that's true. So we have to tame down the expectations a little bit. Am I admitting I'm wrong with the Bengals 100%? But do I think they win the AFC North already? I think we're a little too early for that. For the Ravens, though, as beat up as they are, they're still 5-2. and two. They've won very close, ugly games. Their schedule... Vikings, Dolphins, Bears, Browns, Steelers, Browns, Packers, Bengals, Rams, Steelers. So just like the the Bengals, it's not a very easy schedule besides maybe that one game. It is on the road at Miami. I think they're going to get beat up through here. Watch out for the Steelers sneaking in. I had them winning the AFC North. We'll see what happens. Um, that offensive line is going to have to improve dramatically for that to happen. A Stephon Tuitt return would be great, but they are healthy for the most part, which the um, Ravens aren't. The trade deadline is going to be interesting to see if anyone in this division makes moves. The Browns' health is a huge piece to keep an eye on. This AFC North, there's not a bad team there, though. It's going to be a fun finish. I would assume that the Bengals are probably in a better position than the Ravens, especially after beating them on the road. So I'd put the Bengals in position for playoffs. I have probably the Ravens outside of the playoff picture as of today. So much more action. We're going to continue with Eagles uh, losing to the Raiders 33-22. to Derek Carr and the crew continue to win in the post-John Gruden era. Well, we had the Eagles and the Raiders. Jalen Hurts coming out 18 for 34, 236, two touchdowns. He was also sacked twice for a 94.7 rating. Seems like Jalen Hurts is definitely becoming a better fantasy option than as a franchise quarterback. 
He did run the ball 13 times for 61 yards to lead the team in the rushing department. Miles Sanders having an ankle injury only gets six carries for 30 yards. So Boston Scott comes in for the um, most of the first down carries, seven um, attempts for 24 yards and a touchdown. On the uh, receiving side, Dallas Goder, the leading receiver, the tight end. Now that Ertz is out of there, three catches, 70 yards. And Jalen Hurts lost a fumble. So did Kenneth Gainwell. For the Raiders, Derek Carr, 31 of 34, 323 yards, two touchdowns and a pick for 113.6 rating. I mean, 31 for 34, you can't go wrong there. Derek Carr having quite the season. Uh, with Josh Jacobs battling injury, Kenyon Drake gets 14 carries for 69 yards and a touchdown. Jacobs did find the end zone before he left the game. Uh, for the receiving side, Foster Moreau, a guy that doesn't doesn't get a lot of credit, isn't talked about highly, somehow leads the Raiders with receiving six catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown. No Darren Waller, who was out, I think was announced to be you know potentially questionable that Saturday, wasn't able to turn it around. On the defensive side of the ball, Marcus Epps for the Eagles with 11 tackles. Um, Montana State Bobcat alum Alex Singleton out there like Logan Wilson for Wyoming, a wrecking ball, nine tackles, a tackle for a loss. Um, Yannick Ngakwe was able to get two sacks on Jalen Hurts for the day. Seems to be a good acquisition for the Raiders coming from Baltimore. And Avante Maddox for Philly was able to capture that interception. Statistically... The Raiders were 3 of 9 on third down, 1 of 1 on fourth. The Eagles 6 of 13 on third down, 2 of 3 on fourth down. Yardage-wise, the Eagles were out-yarded by about 90 yards. Uh, they lost the turnover battle 2 to 1 and were out-possessed by 5 minutes. So, these teams probably in two different tra trajectories as the Eagles are now 2 and 5, the Raiders 5 and 2. The Eagles' schedule, obviously they play in the NFC East. They're at Detroit, have the Chargers, Broncos, Saints, Giants, Jets, then a bye week. So some very winnable games in there. Maybe put themselves back in a position to compete for the division with the Giants so beat up. And um, obviously the Cowboys are hot, but they they could find themselves to, to be close to the divisional race. Those Cowboys head-to-head -head games are going to be huge. For the Raiders, uh, they have at Giants, Chiefs, Bengals, Dallas, Washington, Kansas City, Denver, Cleveland Colts Chargers so pretty tough schedule for them um, I didn't have them making the playoffs I don't feel like they're better than the Chargers or the the Chiefs but the season's definitely played out a little bit differently um, let's see the only games divisionally they've played is at the Chargers which they lost uh, so they have the Chiefs twice and the Raiders or the Chargers again I don't think they're going to make the playoffs but they have performed well I have somewhat thought highly of Derek Carr and the Raiders and given them credit uh, but I think this is probably not the year post Gruden era but who knows they, they might be able to prove people wrong they're going to need to have Josh Jacobs Darren Waller healthy that's for sure and then we have the Rams beating the Lions 28 to 19 as Jared Goff makes his first uh, first trip to um, technically LA uh, with the Rams and his old, old coach and mentor, so to speak. Played pretty good. We're in the lead for for majority of the game, actually. He finished 22 of 36, 268, a touchdown and two picks. He was sacked twice for a 70 rating, very Jared Goff-like line. And Jamal Williams led the running, core, running back core 
12 carries, 57 yards for a 4.8 average. DeAndre Swift did get 13 carries, but had 48 yards, which is a 3.7 average. And the leading receiver, Khalif Raymond, if you don't know who he is, it's his fifth season at a Holy Cross. It looks like he's played with the Titans, Giants, and was drafted by the Broncos. But he gets six catches, 115 yards. He had a long catch of 37 yards. And DeAndre Swift, um, a, a dangerous PPR guy for fantasy, but a dangerous um, back receiving back with nice hands. Eight catches on 10 targets for 96 yards and a tutty. For the Rams, the new and improved quarterback, Matt Stafford, 28 for 41, 334 and three touchdowns for 117 rating. That's why you make the upgrade. Uh, Darrell Henderson back in action, 15 carries, 45 yards. It's only a three per carry average. And then the cup, the Cooper Cup, man, Eastern Washington alum, 13 targets, 10 catches, 156 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, For some reason, they're still giving Matt Stafford the opportunity to give this guy the ball. Defensively, let's see. The Rams were able to get two sacks. The Lions won. Jalen Ramsey and Nick Scott for the Rams with interceptions. Statistically, the Rams were 9 of 13 on third down. The Lions 6 of 15 and 2 and 3 on fourth down. Yardage-wise, they out-yarded the Rams by 50 yards, and they lost the turnover battle 2-0, to zero, which was crucial. They did out-possess the Rams by five minutes. The Lions are winless with the new head coach while the Rams are 6-1 and one and look to be a powerhouse in the NFL. The Lions, moving forward, have the Eagles, a bye, Steelers, Browns, Bears, Vikings, Broncos. I mean, they're going to be in for a rough, rough rest of the season, especially um, being winless. Uh, I don't think they're going to finish the season winless. They, they are going to have some opportunities. Who knows, maybe the game against the Eagles, an opportunity. Uh, they play the Falcons in Atlanta. So they, they're going to have a couple shots. I'm sure they'll find a way to win. They've played some very close games and were pretty impressive here against a very good defensive front and defensive team in the in the L.A. Rams. The Rams, obviously, one of the toughest divisions in football. They have a, a pretty nice few games heading into bye week, though. They have at Texans hosting the Titans at the Niners before their bye week, Packers, Jags, Cards, and then the rest of their division. I could see these guys as a division lead. I know the Cardinals have the lead right now, um, and they obviously lost to the Cardinals earlier, but I, I still think of the Rams as the favorite in this division. And then the Cardinals staying undefeated, slacking the Texans 31-5. to Davis Mills still starting. Looks like Tyrod should be back, as we had mentioned, uh, but he's 23-32, 135 yards for a 79 rating. David Johnson with the most carries, seven carries for 25 yards. That's a decent 3.6. It's a decent average for him on the season. While Mark Ingram, the second, six carries for nine yards. And Nico Collins led the receiving core, two catches for 28 yards. Obviously, with the final score of five, half of your points being from a safety, your offense was moving the ball. Um, Kyler Murray, MVP, potentially front runner, 20 for 28, 261 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. He was sacked four times and had a rating of 121. Uh, Chase Edmonds leading the backfield, 15 carries for 81 yards. It's a 5.4 average. James Conner, the red zone threat, 10 carries, 64 yards, and a touchdown. While Zach Ertz, the new addition, leading the receiving core, three catches, 66 yards, and a tutty. A.J. Green getting three for 66, while Christian Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins find the red zone as well. Uh, Defensively, 
Marcus Golden getting two sacks for Arizona. Jonathan Greenard getting two sacks for Houston. Lonnie Johnson getting a pick on the day. And statistically, the Cardinals 6-12 on third, 1-for-1 one one on fourth. And Houston 2-13 of 13 on third. That, that's pathetic. 0-for-2 on fourth. Uh, and they were out-yarded by 230 yards. Uh, the turnover battle was 1-to-1, and they were out-possessed by nine minutes. The Texans 1-6, Tyrod Taylor coming in. Maybe they'll chip in a couple additional wins. Not very high expectations for them. For the Cardinals, they play in Green Bay without Devontae Adams, potentially without some other major weapons for Aaron Rodgers tomorrow night. Um, at San Francisco, Carolina, Seahawks, bye week. Bears, Rams, Lions, Colts, Cowboys, Seahawks. So a very tough second half of the schedule. Obviously, they had that win against the Rams in L.A., which was huge. Uh, but the NFC West is going to be a fun battle to the end. I'm excited to see who finishes on top between the Rams and the Cardinals. But both teams look to be headed towards the playoffs. Um, did I have the Cardinals in the playoffs? Let's see. I have the folders here. That's the benefit. Let's see here. Prediction. Vikings, Packers, Dallas, Rams. I did not have the Cardinals in the playoffs. I had them just missing out. So I did have that wrong. Look, you know, they're definitely more prepared this year early on than I had expected. And that defense is playing solid ball, which was a big surprise. And then, you know, these afternoon games were, were definitely boring. I started playing Warzone. Um, but the Buccaneers smoke Justin Fields and the Bears 38 to 3. Justin Fields, 22 of 32, 184 yards with three picks, was sacked four times for a 44 rating. Obviously, both teams having very good defenses. The Bears getting pushed around, though, and Justin Fields not being able to come through. Uh, Khalil Herbert filling in for Montgomery, and then Williams having uh, COVID issues. He gets 18 carries for 100 yards. It's a 5.6 per carry. Uh, Williams coming back, only getting three carries for five yards. And Cole Komet leading the receiving core, five catches for 43 yards. For the Bucks, Tom Brady leading the league, the NFL in, in passing yards thus far. And he is 44 years old. Stat line, 20 for 36, 211 yards and four touchdowns for 109 rating. They ended up letting Blaine Gabbert get some play time towards the end of the game. Leonard Fournette leading the backfield, 15 carries, 81 yards and a tutty. For a 5.4 average, Ronald Jones getting some shots as well with 10 carries for 63 yards as they, you know, were in lead most of the game, burning the clock. Chris Godwin, the leading receiver, eight catches, 111 yards, and a touchdown, while Mike Evans, six for 76, but not one, not two, but three touchdowns on the day. Um, he gave away Tom Brady's 600 touchdown ball. He negotiated with the fan. It seems like he got a couple jerseys, Mike Evans, Tom Brady, uh, he got season tickets for two years, a Bitcoin, something else. I'm sure if he wanted to give him that ball right away, he could have got a shit ton of money for it. But I think he's going to be okay. He, 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 you know, it's Tom Brady. How can he say no? He wants the ball. I would have done the same. Um, defensively, Devin White, 10 tackles, a tackle for a loss, and a QB hit. Uh, JPP with two sacks on the day. For the Bears, Raquan Smith, the tackling machine, 13 tackles, one tackle for a loss, and a pass defended. 
DeAndre Houston Carson with 11 tackles, a pass defended, and Eddie Jackson with 11 tackles on the day. Uh, D. Delaney, Jordan Whitehead, and Pierre Desir all with interceptions on the day for Tampa. Statistically, the Bucks 4 of 12 on third, the Bears 2 of 11, um, 0 for 1 on fourth. They were out yarded by 100 yards, lost the turnover battle 5 to 1. That's a recipe for disaster, and were out possessed by three minutes. The Bears are 3 and 4, right? They were just 3 and 3. Really not putting Justin Fields in a great position offensively. They have the Niners, Steelers, and a bye week. Uh, the Steelers game on Monday Night Football. Ravens, Lions, Cardinals, Packers, Vikings, Seahawks. I think the Vikings are a better team than the Bears at this point. I don't think they're going to have a chance to, to make the playoffs, but you never know. Um, for the Bucks, they're the real deal. They're 6 and 1. They're the defending Super Bowl champions. The first team. Pretty much in Super Bowl um, in the Super Bowl era to return their whole squad from winning a Super Bowl. They're at New Orleans, who gave them big issues last year, but are now led by Jameis Winston and obviously no Michael Thomas as far. Then they have Washington, Giants, Colts, Atlanta, Buffalo, Saints, Panthers, Panthers, Jets. So a pretty manageable schedule. They are going to be contending for the number one seed. And Tom Brady is smiling everywhere. As we got to see him on the Manning cast, that was a lot of fun. You know, for me, I don't enjoy the Manning cast during the game because they don't really talk about the game. They just shoot the shit. You know, I feel like they should just have a show where they have these guys on interviews and that's just that would be just as good, if not better. But once you have the GOAT come in, I had to tune in. They had some some friendly banter back and forth. Um, Eli rubbing it into Tom Brady's face saying he enjoyed their, their old Super Bowls. Um, Marshawn Lynch was on. So those were fun. Um, especially during this messy, messy, messy Monday night game. But let's talk Sunday night. The Colts escaping a win on the road, a very rainy, rainy San Francisco. Uh, Carson went 17 to 26, 150 yards and two touchdowns for 106 rating. Jonathan Taylor still destroying on the backfield, 18 carries for 107 yards. That's a 5.9 average. He gets into the end zone as well. And Michael Pittman leading the receiving core. Four catches, 105 yards, and a touchdown. With T.Y. battling injuries, it seems to be the Pittman show. Uh, for the Niners, Jimmy G starting, right? Trey Lance not back yet. 16 to 27, 181 yards, a touchdown, and two picks for a 60 rating. You know, the Colts defense is pretty good, but at home you got to be able to, do, to deliver. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, 18 carries, 107 yards, 5.9 per average, and a touchdown. With all the backs that they had, it seems like they still have a winner. And just like the Browns, they have three very legit backs in that backfield, a good offensive line. And Debo Samuel leading with seven catches for 100 yards and a touchdown. Uh, defensively, Josh Norman. Old Josh Norman in San Francisco at 10 tackles, three for a loss. Um, other than that, the Colts were able to get two sacks. Xavier Rhodes and Kari Willis with the interceptions. Statistically, the Niners, one for 11 on third down. Jimmy G, watch out. I'm sure Trey Lance is going to get another opportunity here. Uh, the Colts, six of 14 on third, one for one on fourth. They were able to out-yard the Niners by 15. They did win the turnover battle four to two and out-possess the Niners by seven minutes. The Colts now three and four, finding themselves back in the winning column uh, after starting 0-3. They have Titans, Jets, Jags, Bills, Bucks, Houston before their 14 week 14 bye week. 
Patriots, Cardinals, Raiders, Jacksonville. So some manageable games in there. They're going to have to compete with the Titans. I feel like other teams in the AFC are going to have better records for the, the wild card, but the Colts are going to be very close on coming to the wild card, especially if Carson Wentz you know, manages the game well, leave, lead through the run game with Jonathan Taylor and crew. Um, you know, they could find a way. He's not having to do too much, and he's staying upright. For the Niners, they're 2-4 and four in the stacked NFC West division. I had these guys penciled into the Super Bowl rematch with the Chiefs. Um, I figured it would be a dual quarterback situation, Kyle Shanahan being in for Coach of the Year. They've had multiple injuries just like last year. This isn't completely, you know, to blame on the injuries, uh, but it, it's a tough season for the Niners. They, they're, they got Chicago, Cardinals, Rams, Jags, Vikings, Seahawks, Bengals, Falcons, Titans, Houston, Rams. So pretty tough schedule for them. The way that the Rams and Cardinals are above the division, I don't expect them to be able to make the playoffs at this point, uh, but it'll be interesting to see. They're going to be a pesky team that no one's going to want to play on a week-to-week basis, but I was definitely wrong with the Niners pick. Monday Night Football, Saints 13, Seahawks, the Geno-led Seahawks 10. Like I said, what a snoozer this one was. Jameis Winston, 19 for 35, 222 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Alvin Kamara trying to do everything. 20 carries for 51 yards. That's a very pedestrian 2.6 per carry. But he did get 10 catches for 128 yards and a touchdown to lead the way. And that was enough to get the job done. Uh, For the Seahawks, Geno, 12 of 22, 167 yards and a touchdown. He was sacked five times for a 94 rating. And then Alex Collins filling in for the injured Chris Carson. 16 carries for 35 yards. That's a 2.2 per average. Uh, DK Metcalf, two catches for 96 yards and a touchdown. He had that 84-yard touchdown reception. On the defense, defensive side of the ball, Demario Davis, 10 tackles, 7 solo, 2 sacks, 2 tackles for a loss, a pass defended, and 3 QB hits. Have a day, sir. There was also 3 other sacks to be had for the uh, New Orleans Saints. For Seattle, they had two sacks on the day. Um, no interceptions for either team. Statistically, the Seahawks 3-12 of 12 on third down. The Saints 2-13. for 13. Um, Obviously, there was some rain here in Seattle as well. Total yardage, the Saints out-yarded the Seahawks by just under 100. They lost the turnover battle 1-0, but out-possessed the Seahawks by five minutes. They find a way to get the job done on the road as the Seahawks fall to 2-5. and five. And their call for Russell Wilson couldn't come soon enough. So that's my recap. That's kind of where I'm feeling things are with the teams. Uh, when we look at the Saints at two at four and two, you know they're they're competitive. They're going to potentially get Michael Thomas back. Maybe they look to trade him. I, I'm not too sure. But they have Bucks, Falcons, Titans, Eagles, Bills, Cowboys, Jets. So half and half right there. They're going to be a pesky team that's going to be close to a playoff position. But with the NFC having such stud teams, I don't think they're going to be able to get the job done. And coming in, my big reason for having the Seahawks out of the playoffs was it's going to be of a war of attrition in that pesky, tough NFC West division. And I felt like a few of their positions, you, you lose a Chris Carson, you lose a Russell, you lose a DK or Lockett, your season's pretty much down the drains. And that's exactly where they are. Could Russ come around and have a miracle season potentially? but I'm not betting on it. Uh, it's going to be a tough season for the Seahawks, and I might go watch Kyler Murray come into town and play now that the tickets, ticket prices are diving down. I can't complain. So here we are, week eight, just cruising through the NFL season. 
Let's talk about this week's games. We got the Packers traveling to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. And it looks like DeAndre Hopkins is questionable. I would assume he still suits up. No Devontae Adams. Hopefully MVS for the Packers will be coming off the IR. But how do you pick against the Pack or against the Cardinals when they don't have Devontae Adams? I'm going to take the Cardinals at home on that Thursday night game. We have the Panthers traveling to Atlanta, which the, the Panthers are probably one of the biggest duds last week playing against the Giants. The Falcons have won two in a row. Granted, that's against the Jets and the Dolphins. Um, I think the Panthers get back in the win column. They're going to live through the defense. They're going to put Sam Darnold in a better position to win. I think they escape an ugly one early Sunday morning. The Bills hosting the Dolphins. They own the Dolphins. Tua's coming back. Let's see what he can do against the Bills, who have a, a top-ranked defense in the NFL this season. The Bills are favored by 13.5. I doubt they cover that big. Still taking the Bills. Um, the Bears hosting the Niners. This is going to be a, a, a messy game as well. I think the Niners live through the run game. They get enough done with Jimmy G. Trey Lance, you know, is potentially practicing this week, so maybe he gets a shot at it. I think the Niners have too too good of a roster with Khalil Mack being out and Justin Fields and that offense being a shit show. I think the, the Niners win. They're favored by four. I, I don't think they cover that. The Browns hosting the Steelers. A huge a AFC North battle here as the Steelers are 3-3. Three and three, Cleveland's 4-3. and three. Cleveland's favored by three and a half at home. Supposedly, Baker might play. Nick Chubb might play. Um, I'm going to have the Steelers with an upset. If Baker does play, I think he's going to be getting hurt. Watch out, TJ Watt. Watch out, Alex Highsmith, Melvin Ingram, and crew. And um, if you have Case Keenum in there, I don't think they're going to be able to get the job done. This is a huge game for Pittsburgh. After that playoff exit, they're going to have a bad taste in their mouth. I've said it. I've been wrong. I said it against the Bengals, big brother, little brother. We're going to see what the Steelers are made of. They lose this game. Their hopes of the playoffs are going to be very, very slim. So I'm going with the upset. A little bit of a homer pick, you could say. But there, there, there's good logic here. Um, Lions hosting the Eagles. An 0-7 Lions team hosting a 2-5 Eagles team. Uh, this is a messy game. The Eagles are favored by three and a half. I cannot pick a, pick Jared Goff at all and the Lions offense. I'm going to take the Eagles. I don't think they cover. I think it's going to be a very close game. The Lions have been playing better football of late. I wouldn't be surprised if they get the home win here. But I'm taking the Eagles. The Colts hosting the Titans. This is going to be a fun AFC South matchup. The Colts are actually favored by a point. Who? Did, this is how good it is. I don't even remember who I picked. I think I did end up taking the Colts at home. I think these teams are going to split this year, and I think I was giving the home field team the, the benefit of the doubt. But I'm not confident that I picked that, so I want to confirm here that I actually picked it. That's how close this is. I did pick the Colts. So uh, let's go Carson Wentz and, and the Colts. I'm going to take them to cover that one point at home. The Jets hosting the Bengals. The Bengals a 10.5-point favorite. It looks like they're going to have, um, what is it? Tim White, Mark White, whatever the hell his name was. Let's see. M. White. Mike White as a starter as Joe Flacco won't be eligible. I think the Bengals keep rolling. They're going to keep their lead in the AFC North. Um, they most likely will cover here as well. The Texans hosting the Rams to wrap up the morning games. The Rams are favored by 14 and a half. Potentially Tyrod plays here. If that's the case, I don't think the Rams cover 
If it is Mills, I do think the Rams cover that defense is going to be all over them, but I see the Rams staying in the win column, moving to 7-1. and one. For the afternoon games, the Chargers hosting the Patriots. It's going to be a fun one. The Chargers coming off a of bye week. I think their offensive is going to be, their offense is going to be explosive. And I don't think the Patriots are going to be able to keep up. The Chargers are favored by five. I'm, I'm taking them to cover at home. We also have the Seahawks, the two and five Seahawks hosting the one and five Jaguars. This would be a good game to go to if you're a Seahawks fan. Cheap tickets. See Trevor Lawrence. Uh, the Seahawks are favored by three. I'm going to go with the Seahawks at home. I don't trust the Jaguars coming into, you know, the 12 fandom, whatever's going to be there to get a victory. I'm going to take the Seahawks and I'm going to take them to cover. The Broncos hosting the Washington football team. They're favored by three. Um, I think Teddy Bridgewater has a makeup game here. I think they run all over Washington. That defense has been atrocious. So I'm going to take the, C uh, the Broncos here. I'm not taking them to cover. I think it's going to be a back and forth game. The Saints hosting the Bucks in the afternoon. The Saints have continually beat the shit out of the Bucks in Tom and the Tom Brady era. I just don't think I could really bet on Jameis Winston and Alvin and Kamara through that defense. The Bucks are favored by five and a half. I'm actually going to take them to cover on the road. And a very very fun game here in Sunday night. We have the Vikings, the 500 Vikings, three and three, hosting the Red Hot Cowboys off the bye week. I know I had picked the Vikings when I had originally picked this in prime time. For some reason, Kirk Cousins just doesn't do well in primetime. I've had him in fantasy before. Dalvin Cook coming back rested. There's going to be an opportunity, but that Cowboys defense is legit. L. Collins coming back. Can they stop the Cowboys run game? The Cowboys are favored by a point and a half. I'm going to take them to cover on the road for Sunday night football. This is definitely going to be one of the best games of the week. And then the Monday night game, Chiefs hosting the Giants. The last time you know the Giants played last week I thought the Panthers would trounce them I would assume that the Chiefs do here as well they're favored by nine and a half I'm going to take them to cover the Giants or the Chiefs have to start figuring things out at three and four if they want to have an opportunity for playoffs for for putting uh, themselves in a Super Bowl run again they lose this game I, I think it's all but over so could I get proved wrong again by the Giants sure but am I betting on it absolutely not so I'm going to take the Chiefs at home on Monday Night Football Better slate of games than last week. Last week, I'm not going to lie, was the first week that I was like, ugh, that's pretty rough. The Thursday night game was good. I didn't care about the Packers game. The Titans trounced them. Who cares about Falcons, Dolphins? The Patriots trounced the Jets. Giants smoked the Panthers. Ravens, Bengals, I thought would be a good game. Bengals trounced them. I mean, last week was pretty atrocious. I think this week we're going to have a lot better slate of games ahead. But I did a little power rankings. I came out with my power rankings for this week. Um, with my picks last week, I'm 71 and 38, um, 8 and 6 last week in my picks. So still doing pretty well with my picks. It's been a, a brutal couple of weeks. Uh, but with my power rankings, I always like to reiterate how I think of this and how I come about them. This isn't who's the best team today. It's who's looked good thus far in the season, who is healthy, who has an opportunity to make a good run come postseason. So it's like if the season ended today, this is who I would see being the favorites for the Super Bowl, and this is how I would stack them up. Number one, no surprise, we have the undefeated Cardinals here. With that defense improving and that win against the Rams on the road, I think this team is legit. I love me some Kyler Murray. As an Oklahoma fan, I've seen him do work, and uh, that offensive line is doing just enough to get the job done. So I have the Cardinals at number one, followed closely by a divisional rival potential. 
uh, with the Rams. I a lot of people have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here, but I think the Rams defense is is uh, that much better. I like the ability that they have now with Darrell Henderson and that running crew. But that Matt Stafford Cooper Cup connection runs deep. They also have other weapons there, Robert Woods and crew that don't get talked about a lot. Uh, but I have the Rams slated at number two, right above the defending champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers at three. Followed closely there, I have Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills at four. I just don't see the Bills being able to beat these other teams right now if I put them in a playoff scenario. And right behind the Bills is the Cowboys at five. I think the Cowboys are the real deal with Dak Prescott staying healthy. We'll see what happens this week as he's you know coming off the bye week shoulder injury. Uh, but the, the Cowboys at five. I have the Titans at six simply because of that running crew and King Henry. Um, come playoff time, no one wants to play a team that could play good uh, or that can run the ball that well, and their defense is improving as long as they can stay healthy. I think they're looking good. I have them at six. Right behind them, I have the Chargers at seven. The young stud Justin Herbert and offense has been high flying. They did run into a brick wall in Baltimore, but I think they're going to only get better as the season comes across the season grows long as they are a very young team right behind them. I have the divisional chiefs. The fact that they're eight still blows my mind. If it was a playoff game and I had to choose to put money on a game against the chiefs, I don't think I could bet against them. Uh, but right now we have them running at eight as it looks like that defense isn't going to find a way to fix itself. Even through the trade deadline, if they make moves and who knows about Clyde's Edwards Hilaire, I'm not a big Darrell Williams fan. Rounding out the top 10, I have Packers 9, Raiders 10. Derek Carr's looked vastly improved. Some of those weapons have been hit or miss. Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs' injuries up and down this season don't doesn't ha give me a lot of confidence within the Raiders, and I don't think they're better than the Chiefs and Chargers. For the Packers, um, there is opportunity to move them up, but they are battling a, a, their fair share of injuries this year, and uh, their defense isn't anything to be afraid of. I have the Bengals round, uh, right Outside the top 10 at 11, I debatably put them at 10, but I do still think they have some glaring weaknesses, and I'm interested to see them play consistent AFC North ball. Right behind them, I have the Ravens. They schlacked them. Uh, the Ravens are battling a lot of injuries. Lamar Jackson, hit or miss, in my opinion, this year. So um, I'm going to have the Ravens at 12, the Browns at 13, mostly due to injuries and Baker Mayfield. Right behind them, I have the Steelers at 14, I see. I feel like if they could get that run game and offensive line figured out better with that defense, they're going to be a team that, that that's a sneaky pick to win the AFC North. Again, you could call me a homer all you want, uh, but the proof's in the pudding. That defense is a real deal. At 15, I have the 49ers. I think Trey Lance takes over on the team, and I think that offense does improve, and they're going to live through the run game. You get George Kittle back, get some of their some of their big names back. They're going to be a team that no one wants to play. At 16, like I said, I have the Vikings, Dalvin Cook, and Captain Kirk-led Vikings. Uh, 17, I have Jameis and the Saints. I went back and forth between them and the Colts, but I have the Colts at 18. The Panthers at 19. The Broncos at 20. Two teams that I had picked into the playoffs just looking rough right now. They definitely have room for improvement, but they got to figure it out ASAP. ASAP, Rocky. Um... Seahawks 21, Pats 22, Eagles 23, Falcons 24, Bears 25, Washington football team 26, Giants 27, Miami 28, Jags 29, 
Lions 30, Texans 31, Jets 32. I'll put the Texans ahead of the Lions once Tyrod Taylor comes back. Usually that would be it for NFL action, but it's the midst of college football. So we're going to talk all that action that happened last week. Um, much like the NFL week, I don't think it was an amazing week for college football. Uh, this week's definitely got a lot more bigger dogs up for slate. But let's, t- let's talk about what happened. Well, Coastal Carolina, the, the you know Cinderella, so to speak, of a team, captures their first loss to a well-known foe and F- previous FCS team that had moved up right around the same time um, before Coastal Carolina that plays in the same division and a team that was actually in the rankings early in the season. Appalachian State with the upset 30-27 to over Coastal Carolina. Grayson McCall for Coastal, 15-23, 291 and a touchdown. So it wasn't necessarily his fault. Javon Healy had six catches for 103 yards, but they only could amass um, 55 yards on 29 attempts. That's less than two yards per rush on average. Meanwhile, for Appalachian, eight, uh, Chase Bryce, 18 for 28, 347 yards and two touchdowns. They had 228 yards running as a team. And Malik Williams, the superstar on this one, 10 catches for uh, 206 yards and a touchdown. He had a long ball of 47 yards. Um, SMU stays undefeated as they roll through Tulane. Tanner Mordecai, the, the transfer from Oklahoma, 30 of 42, 4, 427 and three touchdowns. He's been playing really good ball. It's funny to think him, Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams, all those Oklahoma quarterbacks, might as well call it QBU. The Ragin' Cajuns, um, 6-1, able to beat Arkansas State, 1-6 by only one point. Uh, a team that was in the top 25. That's all the action that happened on Thursday. Washington escapes a winless Arizona team 21 to 16 on Friday. The Huskies nightmare of a season continues early Saturday, Cincinnati escaping the Navy squad, the Navy midshipman Desmond Ritter, 18 to 30, 176 yards, two touchdowns and an interception while Jerome Ford had 15 carries for 90 yards and a touchdown. Navy was able to amass 192 yards on the ground, running like they typically do, but weren't able to capture the victory. Cincinnati stays alive, and they can stay in the top four. Oklahoma down 10-0 at half. Or, let's see. Yep, 10-0 at half versus Kansas. Everyone was ringing the alarms, but they found a way to win, a very sketchy way to win, uh, Superman Caleb Williams, 15 to 20, 178 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. And Kennedy Brooks, 24 carries, 79 yards and two touchdowns. Caleb Williams ran the ball eight times for 70 yards and a touchdown as well. Tennessee cruised through, uh, Alabama cruised through Tennessee. Bryce Young, 31 to 43, 371 and two touchdowns. And Brian Robinson Jr., 26 carries, 107 yards and three touchdowns. Ohio State steamrolls Indiana. C.J. Stroud, 21-28, 266 yards and four touchdowns. And Chris Olave. Whoops. Got in the end zone. Jeremy Ruckert with two touchdowns. And Trayvon Henderson leading the backfield. Nine carries, 81 yards and two touchdowns. Ohio State just rolling teams. They're trying to get back in there. Michigan beats Northwestern 33-7. I thought that might be somewhat of a close game. Uh, Blake Crump, 19 carries, 119 yards, and two touchdowns. 
and just a messy game. I did not catch this game. I was babysitting my cousins this weekend and had a lot of softball to attend to, some select softball, 10U. But nine overtimes, the Illinois fighting Illinois defeats Penn State at home. Sean Clifford supposedly playing injured, 19 for 34, 165 yards and a touchdown. How they lost this game. The Illinois quarterback, Arter Sikowski, 8 of 19 for 38 yards and a pick, but they ran the ball for 357 yards in this nine overtime game. Chase Brown, 33 carries, 223 yards and a touchdown. That's a 6.8 per carry average. And Joshua McCray, 24 carries, 142 yards. It's a 5.9 average. Huge upset. Tough loss for Penn State. They're kind of having a, a nightmare of a season at this point, even though they've lost only twice. The upset special that I had in the Big 12, Iowa State beating the Oklahoma State Cowboys 24-21, led by their superstars, their super senior, Brock Purdy, 27-33, 307 yards and two touchdowns. And Brees Hall, the future NFL running back, 21 carries, 70 yards and a touchdown. And Xavier Hutchinson, 12 catches, 125 yards and two touchdowns. Oklahoma State, Spencer Sanders, 15-24, 225 and three touchdowns. Jalen Warren ran for 76 yards and Brendan Presley, six catches, 84 yards and two touchdowns. Neither team had a turnover. Iowa State out yarded Oklahoma State by about 75. Oklahoma State only two of 10 on third down while Iowa State five of 14. Oregon escapes UCLA. The return of Chip Kelly. Uh, Oregon was able to take the victory. Anthony Brown, 29 for 39, 296 yards and two interceptions. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, 22 of 41, 220, a touchdown and a pick. He also ran the ball for 35 yards and a touchdown. Ole Miss was able to cruise through LSU. Matt Corral did make the start as he was questionable. 18 for 23, 185 yards and a touchdown. Snoop Connor with 14 carries for 117 yards. It's an 8.4 average. And Max Johnson, 13 of 21, 146 yards and a pick. Notre Dame cruised through USC. Cadone Slovis, 27 to 37, 299 in an interception. Kyron Williams, 25 carries, 138 yards and two touchdowns for Notre Dame. And Jack Cohen, 20 for 28, 189 yards, a touchdown and a pick. While Drake London, 15 catches for 171 yards for the Trojans. But Notre Dame was able to shut down USC as USC is now 3 and 4 on the season. A wild game here, Oklahoma or Wake Forest is able to stay undefeated as they battled with Army winning 70 to 56. Sam Hartman, 23 of 29, 458 yards and five touchdowns. What a day for that gentleman. And the Army team was able to run for 416 yards, but Wake Forest is able to stay undefeated. The 18th ranked North Carolina State squad upset by Miami 31 to 30. I try to tell you guys they were overrated. I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. And this is their third string quarterback for Miami now. I just lost my spot there. San Diego State able to stay undefeated in the rankings, squeaking by Air Force. Pittsburgh, Kenny Pickett led Pittsburgh. Panthers defeating Clemson 27-17. Clemson not the powerhouse they used to be. 
Supposedly, DJ potentially getting benched as he was 12 for 25, 128 yards and two picks. But Kenny Pickett looking like a future Pittsburgh Steeler, uh, 25 for 39, 302 yards and two touchdowns. What a day for Mr. Kenny Pickett. UTSA, who is now in the rankings, stays, at, stays undefeated as they beat Louisiana Tech 45 to 16. Purdue enters the rankings and they leave the rankings as Wisconsin is able to beat Purdue 30 to 13. Arkansas trying to climb back in the rankings as they beat Arkansas Pine Bluff 45 to 3. Kansas State beats Texas Tech 25 to 24 in a Big 12 battle. Kansas State 4 and 3, Texas Tech 5 and 3. Florida State back in the win column as they beat UMass, who's now 1-6, 59-3. Virginia Tech dropping a game to Syracuse. Seemed like Virginia Tech, after the start of the season, was on a way to a good season. They lose to Syracuse 41-36. Minnesota smokes Maryland 34-16 as Tua's brother goes 17 of 27, 189 yards and a touchdown. But it wasn't enough for the Terps. BYU sneaks by Washington State 21-19. My Wyoming Cowboys drop to New Mexico 14-3. Somehow they're 4-3, but they're playing not very good ball, especially on the offensive side. Fresno State almost drops one to Nevada. They find a way to win 34-32 in a late-night show. Jake Hayner, 26 for 38, 256 yards and two touchdowns. Jordan Mims, 23 for 23 carries for 134 yards and a touchdown on the day. And West Virginia taking down TCU in a battle of the Big 12. Oregon State beating uh, Utah. Two teams that have been back and forth in the top 25 for the Pac-12. Uh, Utah seemed to be on a hot streak. The Beavers cooling them down. I don't believe there was a lot of action in the FCS last week. Let's check it, though. There might have been a game or two. Actually, I, I could think of one on top of my head right now. Weber State. We'll get to that here in a second. Princeton stays undefeated and beat Harvard 18-16 to in five overtimes. Uh, Low-scoring game for five overtimes. Illinois State upsets South Dakota, 5-3 South Dakota, 20-14. Jackson State goes to 6-1 as they destroy Beth Bethune-Cookman, 42-12 as their 0-8. Sam Houston beating Jacksonville State, 42-7. Montana State smoking Idaho State in the Big Sky, 27-9. James Madison beating Delaware on the road, 22-10. Northern Iowa shocking South Dakota State as they win 26-17. Most of it was by Theo Day, the quarterback, 11-21, 232 yards and a touchdown and a pick. South Dakota State's quarterback, Chris Oladukin. Oladukin. Dokin. That's crazy. That's a sick last name. Uh, 24 for 53, 300 yards and a touchdown. Tucker Craft, 123 yards in the air. Jackson Jenke. Uh, 101 yards in the air for the, the Jackrabbits. Isaiah Weston, four catches, 125 yards, and a touchdown for Northern Iowa. They must have won the turnover battle. It was one-to-one. -one. They outpossessed the Jackrabbits by nine minutes. Villanova beat Rhode Island, a 5-2 Rhode Island, 44-0. North Dakota State stays undefeated. Of course they do. They beat Missouri State 27-20 at home. Cam Miller, 
Seven for nine, 112 yards and two touchdowns. Christian Watson, four catches, 106 yards and a tutty. And then the big game. Uh, Weber State trying to stay relevant, trying to put themselves in a playoff position as they beat the high-flying offense of the Eastern Washington Eagles. They sneaked by 35-14. to 14. Um, A bunch of people throwing the ball here, but the main quarterback, Bronson Barron, 21-34, 226 yards. They ran for 213 yards as a team. And Rashid Shahid with six catches, 109 yards. For Eastern, Eric Berry continues a decent stat line. 19 for 39, 245, two touchdowns and a pick. But he did run the ball uh, 12 times for 85 yards and a touchdown. So he basically tried to do everything himself. They did lose the turnover battle 3-2 to two and were outpossessed by 11 minutes in the defeat. Huge, huge win for Weber State. My Montana Grizz back in the win column as expected as they roll through Idaho, the Idaho Vandals. 19-34, 256 yards and a touchdown was the freshman Chris Brown. The Grizz weren't able to run the ball well, but Mitch Roberts, seven catches for 145 yards. They got the victory, but they got a long ways to go. Let's see if there's an update on their quarterback yet. I don't know why I haven't seen anything on this guy still. Early October, the last... Give us an update, Grizz. They're always hiding shit. I hate it. UC Davis moved 7-1 as they beat Kyle Pauley 24-13. And Sac State beating Northern Arizona 44-0, but nothing too crazy. Well, I guess those were some pretty crazy games. Weber State game, that's wild. South Dakota State losing. Those are some big games in the FCS power rankings. What the hell do we got this week in the this week in the world of FCS football? Uh, Villanova playing William and Mary. They're hosting them six and one as William and Mary's um, five and two. Let's see if they are in the rankings. William and Mary. They aren't in the rankings, but they're five and two. Montana, the Grizz, 11 on ESPN Plus, 11 Pacific. They'll be playing the 1 and 7 Southern Utah team. I'm sure Chris Brown will be playing. Hopefully, we have some updates on the court uh, on Cam Humphrey for the Grizz. James Madison hosts Elon. The 4 and 3 Elon is James Madison, 6 and 1. James Madison right now is ranked number 5 in the FCS. Montana slipped down to 11. Let's see. Missouri State playing North Dakota. That'll be a fun FCS battle. Four and three versus three and four. Ooh, this is going to be a fun battle at 2 p.m. Pacific on ESPN+. Plus. The Southern Illinois Salukis, the Salukis that I've been talking about. I'm on the fan train for some reason. Um, they're going to be traveling to Northern Iowa as Northern Iowa. What did they just lose or just win? I already forgot. As they just beat South Dakota State. I'm sure that puts them in the rankings. They are now 16th in the rankings. Meanwhile, Southern Illinois. is ranked number three in the rankings. And that's it in the FCS world. 
So how about the big boys in FBS? Holy shit, do we have some action. And I was previewing my parlays. I like a lot of the dogs. I like a lot of the dogs this week. Uh, nothing happened in early week worth worth of worth noting. So Saturday morning, we got the Michigan Michigan State game. Michigan State at home. They are um, Michigan's favored by four. I'm taking Michigan State as the underdogs in this game. Um, that's going to be a fun, fun game as both teams are undefeated in the Big Ten. Wisconsin hosts Iowa. Somehow Wisconsin is favored by three and a half. I'm going to take Iowa. Their offense is putrid, but I believe they're going to cause lots of issues for that Wisconsin offense defensively, and I think they're going to be able to continue to play with the lead. If they do fall in a hole early, though, Wisconsin could roll, uh, but I like Iowa's the dog there. Baylor favored by three over Texas, the 16th-ranked Baylor. I'm going to take Texas here as well. The dogs, they're they're howling, they're barking, they're chirping. I think Texas is going to uh, defeat Baylor. I'm not all that impressed by Baylor this far. Baylor's most impressive win on the year, 31-29 over Iowa State. They did lose to Oklahoma State. They've beaten BYU, but I like Texas in this game. Pittsburgh hosting Miami. Pittsburgh's trying to keep things rolling. I can't bet against my guy, Kenny Pickett. Ever since I've seen him in person against Penn State a couple years ago, I've been a huge fan. Let's go with the Pittsburgh Panthers at home. They're favored by nine. It's going to be tough to cover that nine. A fun game, although not as important. Georgia Tech hosting Virginia Tech. Those are always fun, ugly games. West Virginia hosting Iowa State. I like Iowa State here. They're favored by seven. I'm assuming they're going to cover. You can't have a letdown game after last week. Florida hosting Georgia. What can Florida handle? I don't think they can handle the Bulldogs, though. I think it's going to be too much. I don't think Georgia covers that 14 points, though. My Oklahoma Sooners trying to stay undefeated. They've been doing it ugly. They're hosting Texas Tech. Texas rolled Texas Tech. Hopefully, Oklahoma can do the same. They're favored by 19.5, though. I doubt they cover. That defense has not been as advertised. Clemson hosting Florida State in a battle of the two nightmare seasons in the ACC. Who would I pick in that one? I'm going to take Clemson at home. Kansas State playing TCU in the Big 12 at 1230 Pacific. I'm going to go with Kansas State in this one. My Wyoming Cowboys are on the road against San Jose State. I can't pick my Cowboys on the road. I just That offense has been putrid. Auburn hosting Ole Miss. Matt Coral back. Auburn favored by two and a half. Are you kidding me? Give me Ole Miss, baby. Give me Ole Miss. Give me them dogs. Mississippi State hosting Kentucky. The 12th ranked Kentucky. Kentucky's favored by a point and a half. I can't pick Mississippi State. I'm going to take Kentucky. What else? Ohio State hosting Penn State in the big house. Sean Clifford, whether he's healthy or not, that's not going to be enough. I would have taken Ohio State as health, you know, giving Penn State the cleanest slate of health. Uh, they're favored by 18 and a half. I don't think they cover. Notre Dame hosting Sam Howell in North Carolina. This could be an upset special. I'm going to take Notre Dame at home, though. They're favored by three and a half. I want to take them to cover. Utah battling UCLA. They have another tough Pac-12 opponent. I think they get back in the win call and they're favored by six and a half. I don't think they cover. A fun Mountain West Conference game as a 21st-ranked San Diego State squad takes on Fresno State. I think Fresno State is going to battle them tough. San Diego State's only favored by a point. Hmm. Let's see. I don't know. 
San Diego State is beating you has beat Utah at home. Other than that, not that impressed. Fresno State lost to Oregon, beat UCLA. Yeah, I'm going to stick with San Diego State here. Other than that, not a lot of huge headlines in the college football besides the new rankings. A week from this coming Tuesday, we'll have the first college football playoff committee rankings to start off things in November. If you guys haven't seen the updated rankings, there hasn't been anything crazy happening besides Penn State dropping 13 spots, Oklahoma State dropped 7, and Coastal dropped 10. Iowa State and BYU re-enter the rankings. My overrated, underrated, a lot of same themes here. I think Oregon, Cincinnati, Michigan, Iowa, North, Notre Dame, Kentucky, Wake Forest, Baylor, SDSU, and UTSA are overrated. My underrated teams, Ole Miss, Penn State, and Ohio and Iowa State. Penn State's not great, but they're better than 20. Ole Miss, give them a little bit more respect. They're at 10. The fact that they're not favored on the road at Auburn blows my mind. And Iowa State, they're getting things figured out. It's been a tough season. They're at 22. I think they're better than that. They're better than that. Wow. Lots of football that we covered. We went over the rankings. We went over college football. But boy, am I excited to talk some UFC, baby. We got some headlines and all kinds of promotions and a massive, massive early card happening this Saturday. So let's dive in. We got Mike Perry signing with Bare Knuckle Boxing. I'm not surprised about this. Should, shouldn't be surprised whatsoever. Um, it'll be interesting to see him go there. He's probably going to get paid more. So cheers to you, Mike Perry. We have a fun rematch book. Caitlin Chukagian versus Jennifer Maya. That's going to be a fun banger alert in the women's side of things. Uh, jo Joaquin Buckley fighting Abdul Rizal Al-Hassan. This is going to be a highlight reel setup of a fight. Uh, Kevin Lee testing positive for a banned stimulant. He had talked sobriety and some issues that he has going on on Instagram. All I know is Kevin Lee is the Motown phenom. He is a tough son of a bitch. I don't know if I slate him for some of the things that he was doing here. It's not like he was taking performance-enhancing drugs. I don't know about those mental situations. As I don't have to be prescribed things to manage that. But it looks like he's trying to get his shit together. He's fought nobody but killers. All due respect. Hope to see you back in the octagon, Kevin Lee. Clay Guida's still getting fights. He's taking on Leonardo Santos. It'll be fun to see the OG himself back in the octagon. And what a banger alert we got. And I got my tickets to this live in T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas to see UFC 269 in December. Thanks to my homeboy, Dakota DeJarles, for getting me out there that weekend. It just happened that this stacked card, the Sugar Show, and everything else that's going to be involved is booked for that in T-Mobile. And we get this banger. We get Mr. Clean back in action. Josh Emmett versus Dan Ige. Oh, boy, does that give me the chills. And am, am I excited for that banger happening down the road? Another fun banger here of two young prospects. We have Movsar Evloev versus Ilya Topiria. That's going to be an awesome fight for two guys that are going to be moving up into contention shortly. Uh, we have Chase Sherman taking on Jake Collier in the heavyweight division. Uh, a, a potential UFC or Ultimate Fighter Championship that never happened. Brian Battle taking on Treshawn Gore. As Treshawn Gore is back from injury, it's going to be fun to see him back in action. Alexander Hernandez taking on Renato Moicano. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, 
Um, in fun news, the UFC is potentially talking about UFC 271 here in Seattle. I'm assuming at the new Climate Pledge Arena or potentially in Canada. So if it is, I hope it's in Vancouver to be able to see UFC 269 in Vegas and potentially 271 in Seattle. I'm all for it, baby. Um, Paul Acosta, we'll talk about his fight with Vittori here in a second, but he's forced to move into the light heavyweight division as he's been having weight issues. And Dana White says he has to fight in the light heavyweight division now. Especially after, it doesn't seem like he even tried to make weight. He agreed with it on video to fight at 195 with Vittori, then moved it up to 205. All I have to say is shame on you, Mr. Paulo Costa, and props to you, Marvin Vittori, for giving us fight fans what we deserve because that was a fucking epic fight. Not the way I had expected it to go, but bravo, bravo, all the props to Vittori. Um, a Bellator 269 happened last week, and this happened. A double hook knockout by Fedor Emilianko as his legendary career lives on. He knocked out Timothy Johnson in the first round on that main event. And Usman Nurmagomedov doing what you would expect. First round rear naked choke of Patrick Piet, uh, Pietila. That man is savage. Wish he could be in the UFC. Meanwhile, we have the PFL happening tonight. Kayla Harrison taking on 3-1 Taylor Guadardo. Uh, for the million dollars, and Ray Cooper the, th the third in a rematch against Magomed, Magomakiramov, a guy that had beat Ray Cooper. I'm taking Kayla, I'm taking Ray Cooper for the million dollars. And then the quote, as she calls herself, the greatest woman of all time, she is going to be taking on, Clarissa Shields is taking on Abigail Montez. We'll see if she can get her grappling game wrestling takedown figured out, or else she's probably going to find herself in that losing column. But she's young in her MMA life. It'll be fun to see how she's developed. But let's talk last last week's uh, Saturday's fight night card. Some fights we didn't talk about or dive into. Uh, we had good wins by J Jonathan Martinez, who took on a UFC newcomer. Random Marcos looked good. Jessica Rose Clark looked good on the main card. And Jeffrey Molina with another nice win in the UFC. So golf claps to those ladies and gents. Uh, but how about RoboCop? Gregory Rodriguez... The second round knockout over Jung Young Park. And this was a fun fight, man. Rob Robocop is no joke. He looks like a fucking machine. Uh, this man is a beast. The first round was back and forth for both fighters. They had landed big shots. They had their moments. I thought Gregory had looked sharper and it was going to come down to cardio, which he had proved to me in his last fight was a lot better than I would expect. Usually a big buff like that. Big buff guy like that gets tired, but he didn't. Well, in round two, things were... Over early behind Rodriguez's power as he shut the lights out. He statistically landed 75 total and 68 significant strikes with two takedowns on the evening. While Park had 59 total and 59 significant strikes. Park now starts a losing streak while Robocop has won four in a row and two of those in the UFC. I would love to see Rodriguez bump up a little bit and take on Bruno Silva or Zach Cummings. But this guy seems like the real deal and... Coming into the UFC at the age he is, I'd assume he gets another fight booked pretty early in 2022. As expected, Nicoloi Nigamirano with the first round KO over Isaac Villanueva. And this fight went pretty much as I expected. Villanueva after this might be done with the UFC at 37. He has two losses this year and has lost four of his last five. You know, he's a vet. He might get some more opportunities, but he's definitely got to get back in the win column. 
Statistically, Nikolai had 11 total strikes and 11 significant versus Isaac's 7 total and 7 significant. Nikolai is now on a two-fight winning streak, and he could take on potentially a William Knight or Khalil Roundtree, take a little step up in the competition. And my upset special of the card performed. Thank you very much. If you guys put down on the parlay and won like I did, raise your hands. Uh, it was a nice little parlay with the underdog as Bruce Leroy, Alex Caceres with a second round submission via rear naked choke over Singwoo Chu. And Caceres in his fighting prime. You know, he's looked sharp and looks like the quicker and faster striker. Caceres had 54 total and 46 significant strikes versus Choi's 38 total and 33 significant strikes. Uh, he did have a submission attempt. Caceres now, though, is on a five-fight winning streak. A true UFC vet. It's awesome to see. I could see him facing some serious opponents as he now enters the rankings at number 15. I like Mavsar Evloev or Bryce Mitchell. I think those would be some great opponents coming up. Um... We'll see what happens, though. It's good to see old Leroy in the rankings. Very stacked car, uh, stacked class. What a turn of events this fight was as Grant Dawson and Ricky Glenn comes to a draw. I had put Ricky Glenn in my parlay. It got pushed. It was a heavy favorite, so it didn't affect my payout much. But Dawson dominated the first two rounds with a mix of wrestling and striking, and it looked like he was going to find himself in an easy victory. But it looked like he had gassed out, right? He put all that effort in in those first two rounds. And Ricky got in a dominant position, almost cho choked out Grant as the bell, the time expired. You know, it looked like he was pretty much damn near out. And I think that's what gave him the 10-8 round to make it a draw. Uh, I don't really agree with the draw. I think it should have been a, a Dawson split decision. Statistically, Dawson had 71 total and 24 significant strikes with three takedowns versus Glenn's 88 total and 28 significant. Dawson kept going for those takedowns, kept going for those takedowns, and exploited all that energy, which led to the draw. Um, but it was a fun fight. Great, you know, setup for the main event. Bummer, bummer that it was a draw. I couldn't imagine putting all that time in fight camp and training just for a freaking draw. But this one wasn't a draw. It was a way better fight than I expected. I was worried that we might get another boring main event for a fight night. Marvin Vittori, thank God, the unanimous decision victory over Paula Costa. And like I said, it was a little bit of a surprise. Vittori took it to Costa in the first two rounds, all on his feet, never looked for a takedown. And it looked like he had weathered Costa's storm because as Costa being the bigger fighter, it didn't look like he was in the, the typical shape that he was and was gassed. You could see that he had the body motion, body language, like he was definitely gassed. So why didn't he go for the takedown? Why didn't Marvin go to grind out Costa like I'd expected? I'm not too sure. Maybe the whole weight thing pissed him off enough that he said, I just want to take it to him while standing. That's a risky fight to be had, but he got the job done. Um, Vittori never even looked for the takedown, but he did have um, 214 total strikes and 190 significant strikes. He did have one takedown, but so did Costa. And Costa had 170 total and 163 significant strikes. Costa now finds himself on a two-fight losing streak, his first two L's of his professional career, while Vittori now starts a new winning streak. As I had mentioned, supposedly only Costa could fight at light heavyweight, so some potential upcoming matchups that would be some doozies. Alexander Raychik or Dominic Reyes, those would make sense to me and would be must-see fights for sure. 
Uh, Vittoria is right back in contention now as he moves up to number two in the rankings and Costa drops to number five. If Whitaker doesn't beat Izzy, the expected winner of Cannoneer and Brunson is supposedly getting the title shot. So maybe he could take the loser of that fight or just fucking fight Sean Strickland and shut him up uh, if he wants to go soon because I want to assume he gets that title shot with Izzy title shot with Izzy right away as he just had lost to Izzy. What a main event that was to set us up for this week's early Abu Dhabi card. Uh, prelims are at 7.30 Pacific and the main card is at 11 a.m. I'll be in Portland. I'm checking the Blazers and, and Clippers this Friday. So I will have to wake up, start drinking, watch some fights in football. What a tough life. Um, early in the prelims, we have Andre Petrosky, the ultimate fighter alum from the season. The 30-year-old fighter with a 6-2 and two record taking on who bad boy Yao Zong, the 26-year-old fighter with a 3-2 and two record. And this is Petrosky's first fight since tough that isn't someone in the tough house, right? So obviously the UFC thinks highly of him. They're giving him more opportunities. He is more of a wrestling style background. Yazong, though, he does have a five-inch reach advantage. He trains at a Tiger Muay Thai, and he has lost two in a row, which are his only two fights in the UFC. So with that, I expect Andre to come with some big shots, get the takedown, go for a submission, go for some ground and pan. I'm taking Petrosky. I want to do a couple parlays here. I'm going to do... Just like college football, I don't know what it is, man. I, I, I like the dogs this weekend. I like all the underdogs. So I'm going to put a fat parlay in with my heart, my gut feeling of the underdogs. I'm going to take a play at safe parlay, and I'm going to do a deep parlay. I'm putting Petrosky on it. Mark that ish down, and let's get that bread. Sorry, I'm fired up. I'm like, ah! I'm parched. We have Ricardo Ramos, the 26-year-old fighter with a 15-3 and record, taking on Zubera Warrior Tokogov, the 30-year-old fighter with a 19-5-1 record. Ramos himself has a 4-inch reach advantage. He trains out of Team Alpha Male and has a black belt in BJJ. He is on a one-fight winning streak uh, that was Bill Algeo in May. I like Ramos. I like the way he looked in that fight. Zubera is an orthodox fighter who trains out of the American Kickboxing Academy. He is a master of sports at combat sambo and hand-to-hand -hand combat. He lost his last fight to Hakeem Dawudu, who I really like as well. They have both fought Leon Murphy, Leron Murphy recently. Ramos lost by a first-round knockout, and Zubera had a draw with him. This is a big fight for both young fighters when it comes to the trajectory of their career and gaining momentum. But I believe Ramos is the is going to come out the aggressive and quicker striker. But Zubara is going to grind him out and get him in controlled situations. I think it's going to be enough for the decision in a three-round fight. I'm taking Zubara. I don't think I could put it on the parlay if I can avoid it. Uh, but it's going to be a fun fight nonetheless in the, in the prelims. Then we have Amanda Ribas, the 28-year-old fighter, 10-2 record, and the number 10 next to her name taking on Virna Karkara Jenderoba, uh, the 33-year-old fighter with a 17-2 record and the number 12 next to her name. Now, Rebus has had her five-fight winning streak come to a halt in January versus a contender now in Marina Rodriguez. She has a black belt in BJJ and Judo. She's a very promising young prospect that needs to win to get back to where she was. 
but she needs all the experience she can get at only 28 years old. Verna is on a one-fight winning streak after losing to Mackenzie Dern in December of 2020. She is a true UFC vet with 13 of her 17 wins via submission. She has also fought Invicta previously. She's a black belt in BJJ and a green-white Prajid in Muay Thai. This is going to be a fun matchup. I, I think we're really going to see how Rebos grows and bounces back after a loss. You can't overlook Virna, but I'm going to take down Rebos, put her in my parlay, mark it down, and let's get that bread. Finally, moving to the main card and a stacked main card we have. And the dogs are out in this one. Uh, Magomed Ankalev, the 29-year-old fighter with a 15-1 record and the number seven next to his name, is taking on Vulcan No Time Ozdemir, the 32-year-old fighter with a 17-5 record and the number eight next to his name. Magomed is now on a six-fight winning streak that has vaulted him into the top 10. He is a master of sport and amateur MMA and combat sambo. Nine of his 15 wins are via knockout. And this is the best test he's had since his loss to Paul Craig in his UFC debut back in March of 2018. While Vulcan is an orthodox fighter with a kickboxing background, he trains out of Sanford MMA and lost his last fight in July of 2020 to Mr. Jiri Proshaka by second round knockout. He has fought uh, straight killers such as Dominic Reyes, Alexander Rachik, Anthony Smith, Daniel Cormier, and more. 12 of his 17 wins are via knockout. This fight is going to be an awesome, awesome start to this early uh, main card and will give us a full picture of how good Mega Med is. I like Ozdemir's experience in this fight. I think he's had some good time to improve and get healthy since that loss to Jiri. This is going to be a banger. I can promise you that. But I'm taking the dog. I'm taking Vulcan Ozdemir. I'm putting him on my parlay. Mark it down, and let's get that bread. Holy shit, what a card. We got Lee the Leech Jingling, 30-year-old fighter with a 33-year-old fighter with an 18 and 6 record and the number 11 next to his name versus Kamzat Borz Chimeyev, the 27-year-old fighter with a 9 and 0 record. Now Lee, he's coming off a win against Santiago Ponzinibbio in January via first round knockout in a crazy crazy ass fight. Uh, he trains out of Team Alpha Male and has a black belt in BJJ. Um, every single fight that Lee has now in the rankings is going to matter as he enters his fighting prime. He is well-rounded. Nine of his 18 wins are via knockout, and his power has treated him well lately. While Kamzat is still undefeated, but hasn't fought since September of 2020, he struggled with COVID and retired to only come back, Right. Uh, he was the talk of the town after winning three straight fights since coming up to the UFC in 2020. This is by far his toughest opponent. And I don't think he's going to have enough, enough preparation to be able to take on a guy like Lee. Stylistically though, Cosmo is going to look to get Lee down and tire him out. And it might work well for him. Lee's a, a jacked guy. We'll see what that, that, that cardio, what kind of cardio has in that tank. If he can get Lee down, I do see a path to victory. That's why he's the Vegas favorite. Lee should be training for that, though, and I think his experience helps him get the job done. Like Magomed, this fight gives us the opportunity to see how real how to see how good Chimaev really is. But I'm gonna go with Lee Jingling. I like the the dogs in this fight. Put him on the parlay, mark it down, and let's get that bread. 
And then we have Alexander Drago Volkov, the 33-year-old fighter with the 33-9 record and the number 5 next to his name, taking on Marcin Tibera, the 35-year-old fighter with the 22-6 record and the number 8 next to his name. Now, Volkov is coming off a loss versus Cyril Gaon. Obviously, he's a man amongst men. He is a black belt in Sushin Jen, a brown belt in Kaioshin Karate, and a black belt in BJJ. 22 of his 33 wins are via knockout. Crazy. Obviously, he's in a big boy class, but still crazy. Uh, Volkov has looked good recently, but he ran into a fucking brick shithouse in Cyril Gaon. Tibera has a black belt in BJJ. He's on a five-fight winning streak and has earned his toughest opponent of late. He is well-rounded, but I assume he looks to take Volkov down as well, and I don't think he could hang on the feet. I think because of that, I'm going to put Volkov in. I think that this doesn't go all three rounds, and I'm putting Volkov on the parlay. He is the Vegas favorite, the one favorite that I'm taking. Let's get that bread. Now we have the, the, the hat trick here of just goddamn brutal fights. Those other fights I just talked to you are all main event worthy. But we have Islam Makachev, the 30-year-old fighter with the 20-1 and record and the number five next to his name, taking on Dan, the, hand-man, the hang, hangman hooker, 31 years old with the 21-10 and record and the number six next to his name. As we know, Dan is an orthodox fighter with a purple belt in BJJ. He is on a one-fight winning streak after losing to the Diamond, Dustin Poirier, and Michael Chandler. Those are straight fucking killers. Uh, He goes from fighting good strikers to a Khabib-like grappler. He does have a a four-and-a-half-inch reach advantage in this fight. Islam is on an eight-fight winning streak, but this is by far his toughest opponent yet. Kind of some reoccurring themes here. Uh, He has a Sambo background and trains out of Eagles MMA with Khabib. Uh, He's an international master of sport and combat Sambo, and nine of his 20 wins are via submission. A lot of the fights here have the same strategy to me on this card, but Islam is obviously going to look to get Hooker on the cage, take him down, and grind him out. I like Hooker here with his length and striking advantage, but he hasn't fought a grappler to give Islam the respect as well uh, in the past few fights. I'm more than pumped for this fight. I am so excited. My heart is telling me to take Dan, the hangman hooker. He's going to get a knee. He's going to get an elbow. It's going to be a spectacular fashion. I'm putting him on my parlay. Mark it down and let's get that bread. We have Pewter No Mercy Jan, the 28-year-old fighter with the 15-2 and record and the number one contender, should be the champion in my opinion, taking on Corey Sanhagen, the 29-year-old fighter with the 14-3 and record and the number three next to his name, for this interim title as Aljamain heals up with, with, from his neck surgery. You know, this is going to be such an awesome fight, and both fighters aren't even in their fighting prime yet, right? Pewter, 28, Corey, 29. Pewter is truly the champ, and fight fans should be more stoked about this matchup than the Aljamain. Pewter trains out of Tiger Muay Thai with a blue belt in BJJ and a master of sport in mixed martial arts. He's on a 10-fight winning streak before the disqualification uh, versus Aljamain, which ended up making me some money, so I wasn't too mad about it. Uh, he, has gone to come, he is going to come relentlessly at Corey, right? He is potentially going to look him down and just high-volume attack heading his way. 
Well, Corey just lost that controversial fight to a very, very good TJ Dillashaw, who I think is better than Peter Yan. Corey trains uh, with high-altitude MMA. He's got a brown belt in BJJ, and six of his 14 wins are via knockout. You know, Corey's fought a bunch of studs lately and continually improves. To be honest, his fight against TJ really, really opened up my eyes. I think stylistically, Corey matches up well against Jan, and I'm running with him to finish Jan in spectacular fashion, just like Dan Hangman Hooker versus Islam. And he is fresh from the TJ fight. He's got that killer mentality still locked in. He's staying in fight camp. And every time I pick against Jan, he just shoves it in my face and tells me to fuck off. Uh, But this is going to be awesome. I can't wait. I'm taking the man, Corey Sandhagen. Enter Sandman, baby. Put it down. Mark it on that parlay. And let's get that bread. And finally, we got the old man battle main event for the belt. Jan, the Polish power, Blachowicz, 38-year-old fighter with a 28-8 record, who is the champ. Taking on Glover Teixeira, the 41-year-old fighter with a 31-7 record and the number one next to his name. Jan is a black belt in BJJ and is on a five-fight winning streak. Glover is on a five-fight winning streak as well, although not as impressive as Jan's reign to the title and title defenses. 18 of Glover's 32 wins are via knockout. He has a fifth-degree black belt in Kajan Kumbo and a second-degree black belt in BJJ. You know, this is a story of redemption and never giving up. These guys have had their highs, their lows, title shots, losses, back-to-title shots, championships. It really is, like, movie-worthy. They've fought in a couple different weight classes, but honestly, at 38 and 41 years old, they might be fighting the best they've ever fought. Glover, I've counted out multiple times, but now look at him. He keeps shoving it in my face. I had no way in hell did I think he'd be Tiago Santos. Glover is going to do what he usually does and look to get Jan down and grind him down, just like a lot of the other game plans in this. We could have a very boring main card, honestly, if these guys all get him down and grind him down. We'll see. I thought Marvin Vittori would do that, and he didn't. Now, Glover is definitely going to, to, to stick to his game plan. But the younger champ with the Polish power is going to get the job done. I'm taking Blachowicz. I'm putting it on the parlay, marking it down. We're getting that bread. But what a stacked card for Saturday, Halloween weekend, early card. Don't forget. And it's, it's, it's an unpaid pay-per-view. It's on ESPN Plus. We can all watch for free and let the games begin. Next week, next Saturday, there's another pay-per-view, back-to-back main events. But this time, it's a regular start. It's in Madison Square Garden. And boy, we want to talk about hat tricks. We got Usman, Colby Covington 2, the first one, potentially the best fight I've ever seen. Rose Namajunas, my girl, taking on and defending against Zhang Weili and Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. Woo! We got some fights coming. We got some fights coming. But pausing from the fights, we got lots of NBA action. It's early in the season, and this man's getting paid. Jonas Valenciunas getting two-year $30 million from the Pelicans. And to be honest, with the Steven Adams trade, Jonas is definitely the better player. This guy's putting up crazy numbers. I play fantasy basketball where double-doubles do you wonders, and this man is a double-double machine. 
it'll be interesting to see how that Pelicans team clicks with Zion Williamson back in the lineup. In the lineup. It makes me wonder. Let's see. Does he have a timetable yet for returning? Progressing. Still no timeline. Typical. Typical. All right. So let's talk about what's happened in the NBA world on the, the books since last week. Um, we had the podcast coming off the TNT doubleheader for the first opening night. Um, the Hornets continuing to look good. I know that I'm talking about uh, last Wednesday, but they beat the Pacers 123 to 122. Obviously, that's going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis with 33 points, 15 rebounds. Uh, Brogdon, 28 and 11. Chris Duarte, the stunning performance rookie show out. 27 points. He was 6 of 9 from deep. Uh, Gordon Hayward with 27 points. LaMelo La Ball, 31-9-7. and 31-9-7. As they got the victory. I was going to say Miles Bridges, but he, he didn't pop off yet. That's later in the week. Bulls beat the Pistons. No surprise. Knicks beat the Celtics in double overtime. These Celtics, man, I don't know what to think about them. Uh, Jalen Brown, 46-9-6, 16 for 30 from the field, 8 of 14 from 3, and they found a way to lose. Julius Randle, 35-8-9, did have 7 turnovers. Evan Fournier with 32-6. How did I miss that? I don't even remember seeing that. 32 points on opening day. Sheesh. Have yourself a day, sir. Uh, the Wizards beating the Raptors 98-83. to Lots of new faces and new places. Uh, the Grizz find a way to win. My Jazz strolling through the Thunder. No surprise here. The Nuggets beating the Suns at, on the road. And the Kings beating the Blazers on the road. For the uh, Nuggets, Will Barton, 26-5. Nikola Jokic, 27-13. A bunch of people in double figures for the Suns, but nothing that jumps off the sheet. Moving into Thursday, the Hawks beating the Mavs, blowing the Mavs out. John Collins, 16-9. Luka, 18-11-7. The Heat smoking the defending champion, Milwaukee Buccaneers. Or Milwaukee Buccaneers, Jesus. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks, 137-95 for a team that leads by defense. That's a shocker. Tyler Hero, potential breakout, potential six man of the year, 27, six and five. And then PG uh, couldn't quite do enough as the Clips lose to the Warriors on the, on the road. PG 29 and 11. Steph Curry, 45 and 10. He's back. Can't wait for Clay Thompson to come back. I'm going to look, but I doubt there's an update. Thompson injury. Uh, yeah, report. Yeah, they don't say. They don't say. He'll be back soon. I bet she's back before Christmas. Maybe he's back on the Christmas game. That'd be wild. Uh, Friday, the Hornets stay undefeated, beating the Cavs 123-112. Colin Sexton, 33-4. Miles Bridges, 30-7. That's the game I was looking for. Uh, the Nets beat the Sixers on the road. KD, 29-12-12. The Raptors beating the Celtics. The Celtics 0-2. Scotty Barnes, 25 and 13, little rookie showing there. 
Um, Lonzo getting revenge on the Pelicans. The Bulls beat the Pelicans 128-112. Zach Levine, 32-6-5. Brandon Ingram, 26-8-8. The Nuggets beating the Spurs. The Suns still in one on the road versus the Lakers. The Lakers dropped to 0-2. LeBron James battling injury. AD's 22-14. And then my Jazz stealing one on the road against the Kings, 110-101. Heading into the weekend, the Pacers beating the Heat in overtime. Tyler Hero with 30 and 10. Sabonis with 17 and 12. The Mavericks beating the Raptors. Luka 27, 9 and 12. OG 23 points. Um, the Timberwolves beating the Pelicans. Cat with 25. Valencia Unis 20 and 17. The Trailblazers beating the Suns at home. CJ McCollum's trying to keep his job there. He puts up 28 points. Damian Lillard off to a slow start. Uh, the Grizzlies beating the Clippers on the road. A potential John Morant breakout season here. He had 28-8, PG with 41-10 and 10 in defeat. The Clippers aren't going to do anything without Kawhi coming back. I love PG. He's going to put up crazy numbers, but they need the claw in that lineup. He's the difference maker. The Hornets beating the Nets as the Nets go to 1-2. Miles Bridges stays hot, 32-9. KD with 38-5. The Magic somehow beating the Knicks on the road. The Celtics finally getting a win, beating the Rockets. Jason Tatum, 31-9. Jalen Green, rookie showing out, 30 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists. Uh, the Lakers finally getting a win as they beat the Grizzlies, 121-118. Carmelo, 28-3 off the bench. And Ja with 40-3. I'm on my Grizzly. On Monday, the Celtics beating the Hornets 140-129. That was an overtime. Uh, Jason Tatum 41-7-8. Miles Bridges 25-10. The Bucks back in the win column beating the Pacers 119-109. The Nets beating the Wizards 104-90. KD 25-8. The Clippers beating the Blizzards. The Blizzards. <laughs> the Clippers beating the Blazers 116-86. Moving on to yesterday, the Knicks beating the 76ers, 112-99. The Rockets beating, or Mavericks beating the Rockets, 116-106. Luka, 26-14-7. The Lakers getting another win in overtime, 125-101 versus the Spurs. AD popping off without LeBron, 35-17. And then, of course, I was watching this last night. That's why I didn't do the pod yesterday. TNT doubleheader, but he got me. Uh, the Jazz beat the Nuggets 122-110. Nikola Jokic had a scare with the knee bruise. He seems to be all right. He still had 24-6-6 in the first half. And Rudy Gobert putting up crazy rebounds. He had 23 points, 16 rebounds, and a block. But how about this Russell Westbrook experience? I wasn't a big fan of this signing. I think Buddy Hild would have been better. They're getting all the Russell Wilson ebbs and flows, right? This game, 27 shots, 33 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. He had a quadruple double tonight with a 10 with ten turnovers. Uh, the guy's all over the place. It's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. I'm not a, 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 as sold on the, the Lakers as a lot of people are, and you probably have seen that when I did my preseason predictions. Um, but let's do a little quick NBA power rankings. Number one, call me a homer. I got the Jazz. They're going to be the number one. 
right? My power rankings are what we've seen thus far, what we look towards the end of the year. I got Jazz 1, the defending champion Bucks 2, the Nets 3. Until there's any updates with Kyrie Irving, I'm concerned James Harden off to a slow start. I got auto-drafted him as my first pick in fantasy. I'm pissed. Uh, the Heat 4, Warriors 5. I love Steph Curry, what he's doing. You put Klay Thompson back. I think he comes back on a vengeance. He's been out. He should be healthy. They're going to... They're going to come out firing. Uh, Nuggets 6. Jokic looks to be okay. I assume Jamal Murray comes back before the new year. Uh, Sun 7. Lakers 8. Hawks 9. Sixers 10. And then I have Mavs 11. Clippers 12. I don't think Kawhi is going to play. PG is great, but I think the Mavs, Sixers, and Hawks are a little better. Um, Bulls 13. Grizz 14. Celtics 15. Knicks 16. That might even be too high for the Celtics. They're just kind of a fucking shit show right now. Uh, they're going to be interested. It's going to be interesting to, to keep an eye on them. Uh, Blazers 17, Hornets 18, Raptors 19, Timberwolves 20, Pacers 21, Wizards 22, Kings 23, Spurs 24, Evan Mobley and the young big men, all the big men the Cavs have 25, Rockets 26, Pelicans 27, Magic 28, Pistons 29, Thunder 30. I'll be posting these on Twitter at Podcast Buckets. But hey, I'm excited that the NBA season's upon us. They had done the 75th anniversary team. If you haven't seen that, I'm not going to read them all. Uh, lots of big names. My guys, John Stockton, Carl Malone, uh, Dwayne Wade getting in there. Some potential snubs. Manu Ginobili. Um, who else was left out? Um, Tracy McGrady. There was a few of them. Uh, but Hey, it's nice to have hoops. It's nice to have world series, baseball, UFC, NFL, so much shit to talk about, but let's shift gears to MLB as we're entering the world series this week. Um, game one of the world series. Otani was given the commissioner's historic achievement award. He's the 16th player or personnel all time to get this award. The last people were in the same year. Derek Jeter and Craig Seager got the award. So basically, he's going to get all the awards. I foresee him getting the MVP, getting me paid on that really early MVP pick. And uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, last Wednesday, we had game five of the ALCS. The Astros smoked the Red Sox nine to one. Uh, they wanted all that smoke. Michael Brantley, two for five. Jordan Alvarez, what a fucking stud, three for five. He's batting 421 average in the playoffs. Uh, Uriel had was three for five. Alvarez with the home run. Valdez eight innings pitched, one earned, five Ks, 93 pitches. What a show for you, young man! After a rough postseason start, the Red Sox Devers went two for three. He got his third playoff home run. Chris Sale only lasted five and a third, two earned, seven Ks. The Astros found themselves ahead, just like that. And then in the NL, it wasn't as easy for the Dodgers. The Dodgers lost 9-2 to fall down to 3-1. Offensively, the Dodgers didn't get much going. Uh, Julio Urias, 5 innings pitched, 5K, 5 earned, 3Ks. Only He had 92 pitches to get through 5 innings. The Braves offense beat him up. Freddie Freeman, 2-4. for four. He's batting over 300 in the playoffs. Eddie Rosario, four for five. The son of a gun's batting 588 in the playoffs. Uh, Travis Darnude, uh, two for four. 
Freeman with his first playoff home run. Rosario with this uh, with two in this game, um, two overall. Duvall chipping in two. All those big names added in the playoff or in the trade deadline, paying dividends. Uh, Swanson had a stolen base. They started with Jesse Ch- Chavez. Drew Smiley three and a third, two earns, two Ks, and a bunch of bull- bullpen guys. But how about Tyler Maztec, man? This guy is literally the Andrew Miller from a few seasons ago with the Indians. This guy, what can't he do? He has been lights out for them after an up-and-down career. Atlanta takes the next game to uh, um, take the 3-2 lead. Eddie Rosario, again, 2-4. for four. Freeman with another home run. Max Freed, four, 4 and 2 thirds, 5 earned, 3 Ks with 8 hits. Not an amazing showing as they get roughed up. I, I think I said the Dodgers or the Braves won. Well, the Dodgers won 11 to 2, so he got roughed up. Uh, Trey Turner, 3 for 4. AJ Pollock, 3 for 4. Chris Taylor on a tear. He's batting 529 at this point, 4 for 5. Uh, Cody Bellinger, 3 of 4. Pollock with two home runs for his second in the playoffs. Chris Taylor with three. He had the hat trick. That's his third playoff home run. And uh, they started Joe Kelly. That didn't work out too well, but they were able to get enough to push to the next game. Uh, This led us to Houston closing out the series, winning 5-0 to head to the World Series. This was on uh, last Friday. Alex Bregman, 2-4. Alvarez, 4-4, upping his average to 522. Kyle Tucker hit a home run. Uh, Garcia lasted five and two thirds with seven Ks. Avaldi, Nathan Avaldi, um, four and a third, one earned four Ks. Not a lot spurring on that Red Sox offense as they got blanked. Bye bye Red Sox. It was a fun season. Well, could the underdog get the job done in the NL? They did. The Braves win four to two um, to win the series four to two. Rosario, two more hits. Riley, two hits. Rosario, another home run. That's his third. Ian Anderson, four innings pitched, one earned, four Ks. Walker Bueller couldn't get the job done. Four innings pitched, seven hits, four earned, six Ks. AJ Pollock had two more hits, but it wasn't enough. What a fucking season of the Braves, right? So game one was last night. Braves win six to two. Um... The underdogs just keep going, right? Solaire, first at-bat, first World Series at-bat, first player to ever go yard. He he gets two hits on the night with the home run. Ozzy Albies, two-fur. Eddie Rosario, two-fur. This man's average is now 400 uh, for the playoffs. Charlie Morton, two and a third, three Ks. Ended up breaking his leg on a comebacker to the plate. Still struck out three guys with the, uh, I think it was a fractured fibula. For the Strohs, Brantley, three for five. Tucker, two for. Uriel, two for. And Valdez, only lasting two innings this time. Five earned, two Ks. They start in a hole. What set it us sets up, set us up for today's game. Astros, Braves. We'll see what happens next week. We'll see what happens next week. I do think the Astros are the better team. As a fan, I just want the Braves to win. As a podcaster, I picked the Dodgers. I didn't foresee all these injuries happening on their end. They have so many so many guys and names. I figured they get the job done. But to close out this stack show, I do want to talk the Foo Fighters and Climate Pledge as I got to see my first event in the new Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. To be honest, I was underwhelmed with the arena, the experience of getting in there. 
Granted, it was the first show was a fucking mess. The, the walkways are narrow. I don't see how they're expecting to be able to manage big crowds there. But Shaq's Big Chicken was the highlight of the day. That place was straight fire. Um, but the arena was built really well for sound. It's, I felt like I was in a studio when the when the bands are playing. I got to see the Bellingham crew, Death Cab for Cutie for the first time. And goddamn Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters just rocked my socks. I was air guitaring. That night I had just started getting that cold. I, I battled through it, fucking rocked my socks off, woke up the next day, got to work early, which is here, but worked early, felt good. I, I was so impressed. But they just bring the best out of you. If I played five Foo Fighters songs with you and you saw that in the person, you didn't have a good time, I would say shame on you. Also wanted to bring up Kim Kardashian's SNL. What a fucking hilarious event that was. I loved how she roasted, you know, her situation with her family, with Kanye. If you haven't checked it, highly recommend it, checking it. Those are my non-story stories for the week. Uh, I can't wait to go see a Kraken game to see what Climate Pledge is like for a sporting event. Um, and I actually just got raffled off a free concert ticket from my company to go see Volby and Ghost. Don't know. I do know Volbeat. Don't know Ghost very well, but I get front row seats, access to the suite, VIP parking under the arena. So, hey, I can't complain. But that's episode 52. We'll be back next week. Fingers crossed I'm back earlier next week to give you guys the show next Wednesday as we'll be able to recap this stacked card, preview the next uh, pay-per-view in Madison Square Garden, and I'll talk to you guys about how my experience is in Portland uh, for the Clipper game. Thanks for tuning in guys i really appreciate it this far in my business and buckets lifespan if you have sports fans you think they would like what i'm about have them tune in like subscribe streaming anywhere you go to podcast my videos on youtube and uh as early as i am in the podcasting career i could get your feedback message me on twitter hit me in the comments send me dms if you want me to talk about your team do deep dives i'm more than willing to do so I try not to make these weekly sports shows three hours long, so I do try to go through things pretty quickly, but I love having fan feedback to be able to dive into that. And um, yeah, more business episodes on the way. We'll see you guys next week.